All right, ladies and gentlemen, welcome back. Class is again in session. Take your seats, pull out your pens, your papers, whatever supplies you might need. Rolling papers, pens and rolling papers. Pens and rolling papers. With me to my left, as always, per usual, is the co-host of Historically High. He is still internationally known on the microphone. He has starred in several low-budget Indian superhero movies found online if you search them hard enough. And you know what? He's he's not bad to look at. If I had to have a co-host that I had to stare at, it it might as well be him. A lot to take in. Yeah, yeah. He's also wearing a just... A WCW Beach Blast. What year was that? Because that was not an ongoing. 92 and 93. Okay, because that, it, did it get replaced by uh, Bash, Bash at the, the Beach? Beach okay. Yes. Hey, Little, good. Yeah. Well, out. I figured Beach Beach Blast. Bla- I, I listened. There was a period of time in which I was very invested in the Monday Night Wars. <laughs> so, um, you know, back to entertaining you again, as always. We are going south of the border this week. We are talking about a man who, frankly, I did not know hardly anything about. I really only heard about him after his arrest. And even then, it wasn't something that really caught my attention. But looking into this, like, you know, as you, I always like say, hey, we're doing this. But yeah, you've already seen by the title card. We are doing Joaquin Guzman Lorea, better known to the world as El Chapo or Shorty. Yep. And this was someone that like when I first kind of found out about him hearing him through the news, I was just I thought it was just kind of like uh Escobar copycat. Oh, it was no. just the next oh, no. I, I I know. And I think I, I confused that in the sense of like now realizing it, it's like saying there were dictators. Yeah. But they are vastly different. Yes. It, very the, much so. You know, rise to power, you know, they do share some similarities in certain ways in which they were essentially at the 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 cream of the crop as far as drug kingpins go but and they I were mean, buddies were they oh yeah okay yeah. i had that question too i was gonna try to alexa or ask uh alexa but apparently my internet wasn't working and so i was gonna say yeah did they ever overlap but it makes a lot of sense because initially he was the one that was assisting in movement of the cocaine a little bit of that bolivian bam bam that Colombian marching powder. He was one of the guys that was moving it across the border into the eagerly awaiting hungry nostrils of the American people. Yeah, this, I mean, this is kind of a, a surreal moment for me. And I was hoping that you get, <clears throat> excuse me, as fired up about Narcos as I do. I, I saw the first season of Narcos. I just never yeah. like watched the, the second season or anything like that. But now going back, I was actually going to watch that as uh-huh. research because it does cover, cover El Padron and then also the rise of, I think, of um, El Chapo. But I wanted to do factual searches first. That way, when I do go back and watch it, I can pick apart what the inaccuracies or what the embellishments were. Yeah, I, I mean, I don't really know how you embellish a man who just seemed to live the most freakishly embellished life. Like, and not, I'm not saying embellished as far as like he pumped himself up just his life. He's still alive. He's, he's living in a place where I guess alive is probably worse than dead. Mm. But, uh, yeah, he, he lived a, a larger than life on the outside life. Well, yeah. I mean, at one point for a number of years, like a pretty large number of years, they said he was the most wanted man in the world out like after bin Laden. Mm-hmm. 
And then after Bin Laden was taken out, then it was El Chapo that was the most wanted man. And when they talk about like how much he made within his career, I think they are way underestimating it. And, you know, we'll get into it in a second, but do you think they do that to try to downplay essentially the impact that they had? Like they come up with a number and they're like, what's the number that's going to stand out to people and make people go like, fuck, he was like moving a lot of fucking product versus like, oh shit, you can make that much money selling fucking drugs? Like, because they come out and they say, what, $14 billion, I think was a number I heard kind yeah. of thrown around in that area. I think he was forced to pay or give back when he finally gets indicted and fully found guilty. Yeah, I think sure. it's $13.4 yeah. billion But at the same, that's, no, way more than that. Yeah, just some of these numbers that we're going to end up throwing around as far as money that he was paying for bribes or money that he was paying... When he was incarcerated the first time, he left a large sum of money for his organization. Mm -hmm. And it's a number where it's like any company in the world, if they got that much cash infusion, they'd just be able to run. What's crazy, too, is Forbes magazine lists this this guy. Like, what? I'm telling you, man, he's... What are we doing, Forbes? Like, I I don't know if it was just a gimmicky thing. Wasn't Hitler the man of the year on Time magazine? I think he was the man uh, yeah. of the year back then. Fuck, I do want to hear it. I think I did. It was like after the Olympics or during the Munich Olympics when like for building the state. I don't know what the fuck it was. Definitely was not later. <laughs> no. It, well. it was definitely not later. <laughs> so without further ado and with a non-requirement to snort anything up your nose, let's get into El Chapo. Joaquin Guzman. Joaquin Guzman Loria. And that's very important because um, he took the last name of his mother after the last name of his father. Yeah, that's not big in in Spanish culture, is it? No, but he he believed in a matriarchal society because his dad was such a big piece of shit and his mom was so good to him that he actually took Guzman Loria. And... This isn't to, you know, (laughs) provide an excuse or anything like that, but this is like a textbook, um, not saying a complete victim of circumstance, but like one of those debates, whether it's, is it nature or is it nurture, but what happens if it's bullshit or shit? Like the area that you're in, that you have to live and the opportunities you have also combined with like a horrible like upbringing. Like, it's hard to dig your way out of that. I'm not using that as an excuse, but what I'm saying is that, like, I think if you go into this with an understanding of, yeah, this guy's, like, king of shitbags as far as, like, drug dealers go and everything, but you look at the opportunities in, you know, the Sinaloa area. So he was born April 4th in 57 in Latuna, Sinaloa, Mexico. Sinaloa, if I'm not mistaken, is more on the western yeah, portion. Yeah, right, the, the Pacific side. Um, 
Very mountainous region. The Sierra Madres run through there. But not as far as Baja, the strip that comes down for Baja. No, Baja's its own little separate finger in it. It is, but there's also like a little gulf, like the Baja Gulf or whatever it is right there. So yeah. Sinaloa is a little bit to the, I guess, east of that. It and would be that section. It's not the Baja version, right? Southern, Baja. yeah. Okay. It's, it's going to sit below like Puerto Vallarta and all okay. those. Okay, gotcha. Super famous uh, so vacation it, places. So it's not bordering. Sinaloa is not bordering with the United States. No. It's more south. No, you're going to have to work your way up through like Laredo is going to be a place that they play a pretty big part in. Um, Juarez... All along the uh, Arizona border, uh, I'm trying to blank on what that is. Because El Paso plays a big... Yes, El Paso is too. So, born in Sinaloa, and that's going to be something that, you know, if you've ever heard of the Sinaloa cartel, there you go, it's named after the area. So, his parents were Emilio Guzman and Maria Consuela Lorea Perez, and just, just sexy. It sounds so good. And let's just get it out of the way. Emilio was a was already in the drug trade. Yep, he was a, a shitbag that portrayed himself as a rancher. Uh, he also grew poppy on the okay, side. He was a farmer yeah. to some degree. He grew poppies, which are the key component in heroin. Mm-hmm. And he also um, was a little bit of um, a horror. Yeah, a, a philanderer. A ph- yes, I think. Well, I think that's too classy of a term for this guy. This guy would go into town essentially when he would take, you know, Joaquin, little little Joaquin, with him to go sell, you know, the poppies and whatever else he had to sell. And they'd end up coming home with no money because yep. he would stay there and basically drink and hoard all away. He loved himself a strong drink, and he loved himself some women and. He would also take Chapo into these dealings. So he wouldn't, like, as far as a strong father figure goes, and this is sort of where I think nature versus nurture is a tough play, because that was just sort of what you would do in a poor place. Not necessarily the whoring and the drinking, but as far as trying to make your money at this time in Mexico... These were all the cash crops that they had to grow because they were going to fetch more money. Yeah, than like Sinaloa, that whole area being... was a very like poor, poor yeah. area and opportunities were extremely limited. Again, not making excuses. This is just why his trajectory is the way it is and why essentially he's required from a very young age to essentially get into this life. You know, if there's a lack of opportunities combined with desperation, you know, to feed your family and everything like that. You're going to do some shit that, you know, may not seem on the up and up, but if it's that acceptable culture where you're at, it's almost part of just like growing up. You've seen it firsthand that this is how people make money. And not only that, but like as a kid, like who did we look up to? We athletes, like sports stars, like actors, movie stars, all that kind of shit. And you look at these people and you're like, man, like. You know, you look at the fame and you look at the money and you look at the cars and the women and all that kind of stuff. Drug dealers were essentially akin to these athletes in Mexico. Because they didn't have all that. They didn't have TV. They didn't have electricity. He Correct. lived in a a dirt floor uh, adobo shack, basically. Well, and he also had, I think there were a total of seven or eight kids. Yep. He, he had, had two younger sisters and four younger brothers. So he was the oldest. There were also three older brothers that had died. Well, and so. And as far as Mexican standards go, and I'm sure it is this place in a lot of um, sort of impoverished countries, but you have a lot of children 
to be able to generate income eventually mm-hmm. when they grow old enough to work. Yeah, and so, you know, little Joaquin, the only people he's looking at that are living, you know, living great lives and essentially living, you know, not impoverished are these guys he's essentially like seeing his dad interact with that are dealing drugs and they're working for the cartels. So to him, whereas we would be like, I want to aspire to be an athlete. I want to aspire to be, you know, an actor. I want to aspire to be, you know, uh, an inventor, someone to make money. And that's kind of our, you know, bar to go after. All you're seeing is like, I need to be a drug dealer if I'm going to go ahead and, you know, make any money. Yeah. And it's, for them, it was just a means of survival, I feel like. And that's, this is, I think, where you and I differ on as far as, like, the drug trade and everything goes, is in our country, it's kind of looked at as, like, you want all the expensive things. And usually kids that come from greater means either are bad drug dealers or they just don't do it at all because is, they don't need to. Is affluent the word yeah. to use? Okay. Yeah, it, an affluent sect of our country never really gets into the drug trade because it's never really necessary. Unless they're trying to piss off their parents. Yeah, that that definitely could be, or they get tired of getting stepped on stuff or just paying out the ass because they can. But in a situation like this in Mexico and in some of our you know poorer parts of this country, there's not a lot of options. Mm-hmm. And unfortunately to... It's pay, survival. Yeah. Yeah. And that's really what it is. And I do have a harder time. I know drugs are bad... Um, most of them, some are just fun, not marijuana, (laughs) no, but it's a means to an end. It's a means to be able to try to lift yourself out of a situation that you didn't have a hand in being a part of. Yeah. I think this is, I'm not trying to make a generalization because I'm sure there's different motives for it across the board. But if, if you can make the money that you would make selling drugs in the same Ease. I'm not saying it's easy to do that, but with the same effort and everything, no one is going to choose to do the illegal thing no. that's going to risk that when they can go do something else. It's essentially a lack of options. Um, and I mean, at 15, him and his cousins start cultivating and they basically start like a smaller grow up for, for weed. Yeah. And it's just born out of the necessity of... When I say um, cousins, it's like five other dudes, right? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah, so like probably. him, yeah. And he's trying to do this kind of... Isn't he doing this kind of outside of his father's like field of vision? Like this is what yeah. he's decided to do because he's like, if if I get this guy involved in it, he's just going to end up spilling or spending all my money on, on booze and women again. Yeah, Emilio can't be a part of it because Emilio's already doing it and he's not bringing any money home. Yeah. So Chapo would use the money that he made to come back and to kind of help keep his family afloat. I mean, mm-hmm. you have six other siblings and you have a piece of shit dad that beats you and beats your sisters and your mom and your brothers and everything like that and doesn't bring home any money. So you have to keep them afloat somehow. And his mom, Maria, again, I I got to keep her out of this because she's... She, I don't think, is a bad lady. <laughs> no, she she strikes me throughout this whole thing as being like the mother. She's a loving mother. Like the loving mother that did her best. But I'm sorry, man, you got that many kids. You can't fucking keep eyes. No. Enough attention on all those kids. And the other thing, too, is she kind of strikes me as this woman that's like, I'm not going to ask what you're doing. Yeah. I'm just going to, it looks like you're doing well in whatever you're doing. I know based on where we are. It's probably some like nefarious, heinous shit, but I'm not going to ask. 
Have you seen Bad Boys 2? Yes. Uh, when they go through as the exterminators and they're bugging the dude's house. Yeah. And the guy um, is the rat that lets him in mm-hmm. and he gets shot in the head. Yeah. And mom comes out. She goes, oh, Dios, what happened? And he's like, I don't know, mama. Very sad, mama. He killed himself. <laughs> yeah. yeah. She's guy. like, oh, my gosh, we'll send his family flowers. He's like, I will do that, mama. Yes, that's like, kind of, yes, that's exactly what that kind of reminds me of. And so, you know, they start their small grow up. They're selling, you know, their marijuana. Is it Culiacan? Culiacan, yeah. That's Cul- like the big city in Sinaloa. Named after, that's got to be named after like an Aztec or, right? Yeah, like, and it just sounds cool as shit. Culiacan sounds like just a badass name. So is Culiacan in Sinaloa? It's the capital. Oh, it's the capital. of yep. Okay, Sinaloa. All right. So, you know, here's something. Was he 5'4 or 5'6? I read 5'4. Uh, I saw 5'6. I mean... I don't know. I see this as a man that would wear a heel. <laughs> Good, yeah. I see this Kim definitely Jong-un-ish. as a man who would add another another inch to his cowboy boots. Yeah, definitely could. So he leaves home in his teens, basically finds an opportunity through, surprise, surprise, not his father, but other people in the family that are in this business. His uncle, uh, Pedro Aviles Perez, was uh, like... When I say founding fathers of narcoism, that's sort of what he was. Like, he was in on the ground level of starting the drug trade out of Sinaloa. Which seems so strange because you think that Emilio would be more successful or be higher up in this. But essentially, Pedro, I don't know if it was his uncle, paternal or maternal, but... If probably he, maternal because of the Perez. Perez. Oh, yep. That makes more sense. And so he probably looks at Emilio. He's like, you're fucking dipshit fucking husband. I'm not letting him on this stuff. Yeah, and my brother-in-law like, sucks. Yeah, Uncle Pedro, Uncle Pedro, I bring you marijuana. He's like, good job, kid. Okay, let's talk. Yeah. And that's really, he just, he was such a go-getter. For a guy who only had a third grade education, he was so emotionally intelligent and street smart that he was able to basically pull himself up into a situation where he got in good with these narcos. He was very dependable. They said um, the nearest school was like 60 miles away. And the only formal education he had was from like, uh-huh. uh, it would be when teachers traveled through yeah. the area. Like they would go on tour and like, you'd get a teacher for three days and they'd try to fucking cram a bunch of knowledge into you. Well, and that's just, that's the area that they lived that, that in. That goes to show how essentially isolated and impoverished yeah. this, this area was. And so, yeah, by the eighties, so you figure, you know, by the time he's 21, 22, 23, El Chapo ends up finding himself working for Miguel Angel Felix Gallardo, or as he's better known as El Padrino. Is that the dad, the father? Uh, the godfather? I, I don't know what the Eno would All right, be, you, but Padre you go, is father. And I'm going to look it up. But El Padrino was big business. Uh, the Guadalajara cartel was the cartel that he ran. It was the most profitable cartel in all of Mexico. And basically through his uncle Pedro, he was able to get this in with, uh, Gallardo and Gallardo took to him. The Godfather. The Godfather. The Godfather. That makes sense. But he took to him pretty quick. He brought him in for an interview. They got along really well. Uh, he became one of his drivers and after he became a driver, he actually was his uh, on his hit squad. He was a hitman at a very young age. Uh, a Sicario. Yeah, Sicario. That's right. Mm-hmm. That's what it, I kept thinking. Sancho and Sancho's like side guy. Does not sound even remotely as <laughs> cool. Sicario and Sancho. <laughs> hey, this is Sancho. But uh, he didn't really have a whole lot of 
moral hang-ups about murder. No. He seemed to kind of gravitate towards... He did it cleanly. I mean, it, it was fairly humane. <laughs> Come on. <laughs> but, You're going to uh, start... Do you start in this early? I, I'm just Listen, saying... When you say it was humane, like basically what you're trying to like basically say is when people fucked up and you didn't get like a fuck up around El Chapo. No. He he just shot you in the head. So that's what that's basically what it is. It's not like it, there, there it it was the there was no mercy or no. anything like that. But it wasn't like are you just saying hey at least you didn't torture him? I compared to how the cartel war murders usually happen. Correct, and the but messages within, that are sent. But that's against people outside of your cartel. Or somebody that was a narc. Correct, but this he's just killing people for, like, fucking up his shipment. Yeah. When, when he got into, you know, part of his reputation is he became known as El Rapido. And it's what, the quick one? Yeah. It's they, rapid, the quick one. The Colombians actually gave him that nickname because he was moving. They said that he could move a shipment of cocaine across the border overnight. 48 hours, I think, was his guarantee. Uh, he just, he was that fast at what he'd do, but he would always under, or he would always oversell it, and then he would come in under time. Yeah, like he, and and so one of the other things, too, is he prided himself on this speed of getting this shit across the border and transporting these narcotics so much that if you were fucking late, that was when you found yourself with a bullet in the head. So he had, like, zero tolerance. Zero tolerance for tardiness. We do not share a similar tardiness policy. Uh, and just kind of to explain how this all worked in the 80s, uh, Pablo Escobar was huge in the 80s, and he's going to have his own just spectacular episode. He's probably my favorite narco. Um, Chapo's grown on me quite a bit. <laughs> I mean, not to like glamorize this shit or anything, but just in the in the interest of explaining the interest, I think when you look at Pablo Escobar and the fact that like the it's most cool well known thing for him was like cocaine, but it was also during the fucking eighties and that Miami Vice and the scar like all that kind of stuff. For some reason, cocaine during that time frame just makes complete sense. Yeah. The and colors, just like, everything, the music. Yeah, it just it that that was just essentially the cocaine decade or whatever it was during the 80s. After that though, it kind of just feels like, oh, is there like okay, so cocaine still we're still bringing in cocaine because then I think that's when you get more into and as similar as they are and everything like that, that's when all of a sudden you get into like what the crack epidemic. Yeah, and that's uh, and, I mean, and that's just not as glamorous as doing lines off of a fucking Miami bar discotheque, whatever the fuck you want to call it, table. No, but that's, uh, it's something that is worth pointing out was the crack epidemic mainly affected poor African-American neighborhoods. Mm -hmm. And at a certain point in the drug war, I think it might have changed now, but you would actually get a heavier sentence for a gram of crack as you would for like 15 grams of cocaine. Because they considered it more of a controlled substance, but it was mostly because white people could afford cocaine, whereas the poor, disaffected black neighborhoods would end up with crack. Yeah. So it's a situation where it certainly was a party drug. Um, like you say, the crack epidemic was just a spinoff because you now it's obviously a drug for rich white girls and bachelor parties in Vegas. Yeah, and it's it's kind of become a rich man's drug, but back then it was pretty accessible mm -hmm. and the amounts that were coming up out of Colombia from, uh, Pablo 
were so great that they were taking them up through what was called the Caribbean Corridor. The Caribbean Corridor would be um, usually by ship or most of the time. That's where you're getting like the fucking drug boats and the fucking drug submarines and stuff. So So it would always funnel into the Florida Corridor. Yeah. You had that choice. Um, You had the much riskier choice of taking it onto the Pacific side and taking a submarine or a boat up to like San Diego. Into actual ports. Yeah. Like trying to disguise it and Uh hide it and smuggle it in through like the port of Los Angeles and everything. And the third way, obviously, is the U.S.-Mexico border. But it's much tougher because logistically you have to take it all the way through basically Central America up through Mexico and then get it across a border that we claim is like one of the best guarded borders in well, the world. And, and when you think about like the border, if you're traveling with like, and when they're bringing this stuff in, they're bringing in tons oh, yeah. of this kind of stuff. So the places that you have to watch are the places that can only be accessible in order to do this. So like you get these mountainous regions that are impassable when you're trying to do this kind of stuff. Those areas aren't really being watched that much just because they're not impassable to bring in this type of material. Yeah. But when you're trying to bring it across, it's not like they're going to the border and they're like, Hey, you cross over there. You cross like, these are like established like smuggling routes that they've been watching and, you know, researching, trying to find out if there's guards coming by or any type of surveillance and so these routes are the ones that are established and actually work and have the highest success rates. These things become a, essentially a huge resource for these cartels and they're fought over and fucking killed over. Yeah. And back in the eighties with the Guadalajara cartel being so good, they were pretty much untouchable. Like the other, other cartels, other gangs didn't really mess with them. Um, after, Chapo got done with his Sicario duties. He was actually put in charge of overseeing all the air shipments that cross the Sierra Madre region of Mexico and into the U.S. Mm-hmm. So uh, yeah, a guy named little single engine, double engine planes, Cessnas, yeah, kind of like um, what's the fucking Blow. movie? George Young, huh? George Young. Blow? Well, that one, and then there's the other one, what, what American made, the one um, that Tom Cruise plays the dude that flies in the cocaine and drops. I can't remember what the fuck his name is. I don't know. But he's one of the guys that was also flying in cocaine. But, like, you know, they're able to acquire these small singular double-engine planes. And he gets put he's, – he's shown himself to be essentially like a savant from a logistics perspective. He's a logistics guy. So he basically is able to climb his way through kind of a combination of his, like, business acumen. They mention his ruthlessness so many fucking times. But also because – success is what essentially makes you makes you successful in this and success he's able usually to, does make you successful that's not what i'm trying to say what i'm trying to say his is acumen like, makes him successful exactly his ability to you know you would think if you're just good at your job it would just make you successful at that job so they would keep you in that job but this is a situation in which he keeps being given more and more and more responsibility within the cartel because, again, he oversees the air shipments. He's getting a lot of product in the United States. And then he also starts pioneering. You know, they'd used tunnels before. A little bit. But but not in the sense of like – so the explanation is this. The tunnels that they were using before were literally like – if you think about it, they're like um, – oh. I mean, just big enough for a person to crawl yeah. through, pushing a bundle of fucking drugs in front of them or towing one behind them, where they're trying to, you know, there's a chance that it's just going to collapse on them. They're like, dig a new tunnel. The tunnels that 
El Chapo starts building are essentially he brings in like set designers, um, full blown HVAC guys. He also goes and does like research or brings in like geologists yeah. and tries to figure out how best to tunnel through these areas and starts building these tunnels that are ventilated that have lights going through the whole thing, have like cart systems. So they're able, they're not having to carry these things. Hydraulic lifts on Hi- either side. Yeah. So they can even go even deeper. And he basically finds a way that he's able to establish all of these like very well constructed tunnels to where, I mean, think of just the comparison. You get a guy down in that tunnel, he's crawling his way through trying to push a couple of these, you know, satchels or whatever versus them lowering these drugs in and basically having a motorized cart system that's just running these things across the border. Then popping them up inside like subdivisions in neighborhoods and houses where they have, I think there was um, one raid where they said inside the house there was like a, a wall length mirror or something you flipped the mirror around. There was then a button that button then raised on a hydraulic false floor. (laughs) And there was a metal staircase going down like, you know, like 20 feet. And then all of a sudden there was not only a tunnel between that and like a couple neighboring houses where they would actually store additional product to Mm. be shipped out. But then, you know, a tunnel that would track all the way back under into another building over across the border. Yeah. It was, they were just uh, like underground not railways, but just like thoroughfares. Yeah. And it wasn't just like, you know, he had one or two of these. Anytime that these things would get raided or, you know, found out by the DEA or whoever was keeping track of them, there was how many more ready to either already being built, already constructed. I mean, it, it was something to where he was, he was, he became the guy. He was the transport guy. He was a gopher. Yeah. He he could dig any tunnel. And a lot of this shit, part of his brilliance, and it's kind of weird to think about because you don't hear a lot about like ground penetrating radar. Mm -hmm. But GPR is basically a way where they can send signals down until they hit anomalies or anything in the ground that would be different from the They can sense cavities. Yeah. They can essentially sense when it's not solid. Bones, anything like that. They use a lot of GPR for murders and that kind of thing. But as that was happening, he knew that if you dug them low enough, that GPR wouldn't be able to hit it. The technology at the time wasn't able to detect it. And still to this day, they're finding these things left and right, Mm -hmm. but they're so deep and they're so far down. And it's not like this is out in the country. Like he's doing this right around places that are very loud. Yeah. And how do you even like, you know, I don't know if the argument is like, well, how could they not detect these and everything? Or can't they have like seismic detectors? you're talking about such a span, a you know, a geographical span that you would have no idea where to look. Yeah. You, you have to have something that tips you off to let you know something is there. Just well, the, the resources aren't available to be constantly on the lookout for these things. I mean, well, they are, but yeah. like, detection is like very difficult. Uh, he just, he changed the game in the way that transport works. And, the biggest thing obviously is getting the drugs into the country. Well, like think of that, like, okay. So you're thinking about like with Escobar, you have the submarines, you have like the go fast boats, all that kind of stuff. You even have like airdrops and everything. Uh-huh. These are all single. I mean, they're not single times cause you would do this repeatedly, but this isn't like it's a, you're, 
you're limited by your amount of product by the method in which it's being delivered. So submarine can only hold so much. And how how fucking reliable are homemade submarines, you know? Yeah. Um, a plane can only hold so much. And then how often are those getting intercepted? Boats, Coast Guard, you know, in the Caribbean, they're on the lookout for that kind of stuff. Whereas you could run a fucking tunnel back and forth and the only time you have to stop is when your stash house on the other side is so full that it could no longer hold anything. And then at that point, they also have, and part of his distribution is basically then figuring out the distri- distribution within the United States. And this isn't just something that like was affecting like the West Coast or like the Southwest or anything. Eventually, his distribution spans the entire United States. Chicago was a huge deal in in regards to like where El Chapo was supplying. They said at one point, 60 to 80% of the drugs within the United States were supplied by El Chapo. I'd like to think that I've smoked Chapo weed in my life. I was going to ask you that. Yeah. I was yep. thinking about the, all, that a lot and I was trying to match up the times that he was transporting that. And if it is 60 to 80%, chances are if you were smoking in a state prior to it being legal and able to acquire it at a dispensary, you have a 60 to 80% chance, right? Uh, yeah. I mean, in America, we were kind of blessed because our neighbors to the north would also be distributors of marijuana. Um, so we would get things coming kind of from both borders. The Canadians grew, eh? Oh, yeah. BC Bud was huge. But... Uh, Really? In like grow houses or do they have yeah. a climate to, okay. Grow houses and they do have an exterior where outdoors You don't think good. of that warm Canadian climate when you're thinking of BC. No, but everything kind of has their growing season and a lot of what they would do too. And this is, it is part of the Sinaloa's, but this is just kind of a cartel thing was when they would get people across the border into America in California, mm-hmm. they would basically just send them out into the woods in California with a few different items. Oh man. And we, seeds. And there would be there's still to this day they find grow operations in the mountains in the California. Emerald Triangle? Yep. Is that what they call um, it? So Mendocino, Van Nuys, and I can't remember. Humboldt. Yep. So Humboldt County. Yep. It's Humboldt County, I yeah. think is what it is. Yeah. So I mean and I let's not spend too much time because that can be an entire you know, we could spend 30 minutes on that, yeah. but you basically have these grow ops where these guys, like Adam says, going out into the woods, not, you know, traveling un really unused access roads or very, you know, sparsely used access roads. Not only that, but then going off there, finding locations in which they're able to start cultivating marijuana and how they find a lot of these places is you'll find these little creeks or streams drying up. And they'll be like, the fuck is going on here? They'll track these things back way upstream, miles off the beaten path, and they'll find all of this fucking sophisticated plumbing that is rerouting these streams into these huge grow. When I say sophisticated, <laughs> I understand that what I'm saying is sophisticated. It's not like, okay, you're off there. It's not like fucking wood, you know, trees yeah. carved into like funnels that is going to, it's True. irrigation piping that's been carried in by hand. And enough of it done to where it's irrigating these entire grow operations, and you just run into guys fucking walking around these grow ops with AK 47s. Yeah, it's a very a dangerous thing that happens. But probably the most important part about these tunnels was oh, well, there's two most important parts. A, um, just regularly, if you're crossing the border, you're able to carry one, two kilos on each back of the person that's going across the border. On with each these back? Uh huh. Front and back? 
Uh, probably. Okay. So you could probably put four kilos. Oh, on each. I thought you meant like on each. Yeah, each of their backs. Back. Okay. Yeah, each uh, coyote's back. Okay. But when you have these rail systems and these really big tunnels, you can start shipping tons and tons and tons of Literally drugs tons. to get through there. Yeah. So you're making light work of something that used to take you, you know, a week to sneak in. You're doing it in one night. Not only that. We- most of the time, how an operation goes down, and we'll talk about the guys in Chicago. Yeah. When you have a big network, you need a big net- network for distribution and everything like that. But the more people that are involved, the higher your chances someone's going to get fucking pinched, rat you out, and that's how you're going to get caught. By him developing a system that doesn't rely so much on manpower, he's able to go ahead and ship a lot more product at the same time as using less people to do it. Because instead of sending multiple coyotes, you could have two guys in that tunnel, one of them sending the cart down, one of them loading it up, one of them sending it back. Like you're you're running with skeleton crews to where all of a sudden and not only that, now you're not I realize they didn't pay these coyotes a lot or anything like that. No. Not only are you now you're not having to pay as many people. Your yeah. money is then going into digging more of these fucking tunnels. Which is part two of why these tunnels are so important. Because in the grand scheme of things, it's pretty easy the way they were doing it to get the drugs into the United States, you have to also weigh the factor of you need to get all this money back to Mexico and guns back to Mexico to supply the cartels. Mm-hmm. So these things were like super highways. Cause I, if you have ever tried and, and I'm thinking of the money. Yeah. No one ever That's really, I mean. you don't contemplate the fact that like, we're so used to, we're almost a cashless society mm. places still almost, I feel like people have to accept cash just based on the fact that, like, the Treasury needs to have cash in circulation. Yeah, it's a necessity for our country. Yes. All of these deals, you know, fucking these transactions for this Coke and weed and all this kind of stuff, they're not going down with a fucking Visa or a Square or anything like that. Everything is done in cash. So not only do you have an extreme amount of materials that you're shipping in, you're needing to go ahead and get all of that cash back out. And when you're literally talking about hundreds of thousands, millions per shipment of money coming back, man, you trying to get that, you're not going to trust that with a fucking coyote coming across the border trying to walk across. You're not going to, I don't know if you'd even trust that shit if, you know, on a plane and worry about the pilot taking off. All you got to do is take it back to this safe house, boop, it goes into the rail system, back to fucking Mexico. Uh, Along with guns that are much easier to get in this country Mm -hmm. than down in Mexico. But the other part... Oh, yeah, and the cash that they would have available to fucking buy arms and shit. Yeah, but when you think about volumes, you've seen what... This is where we're going to get into historically. I math. Um, $100,000 would be a hundred... Or would be a thousand hundreds? Yeah, a thousand hundreds, right? Okay. thousand hundreds, it's a brick. But... no, oh, More than that, man. A thousand hundreds? Okay, hold on. A hundred thousand, thousand hundreds. How many? Okay, well, while you're doing yeah. that, that is if you're dealing in amounts of money that are exchanged with hundred dollar bills. So that stack is going to be much smaller than when you're taking this money back from street dealers and everything else that's being paid to you in tens, twenties, fives, anything like that. That amount of money is going to be much larger. So you're going to need a way to get through that. And it's not like you can just take in a hundred thousand dollars in tens and twenties. You're right. It's a thousand hundreds. What I'm saying though is, when you see a stack of money for like hundreds, that's yeah. usually what is that usually? They bundle ten thousand. 
that's usually 10,000. When you see your traditional fucking movie briefcase open, uh-huh. it's usually done in $10,000 stacks. That's yeah. the one they pill- they flip through it and make sure there's nothing in there. But it's I don't think people truly estimate or truly understand the weight of money cuz we're not we're not used to holding that kind of shit. Like most common people never hold, you know, $10,000 in their hand and deal like it's the Walter White thing if you've ever watched Breaking Bad. Yeah. Look at how much he has in that storage unit, just the weight of that alone. Yeah, it's paper, but it's fucking paper. It's like a stack of fucking printer paper. Well, and think about that as those were all $100 bills. Now think about that times five, because these are all going to be lower denomination bills that are paying for these drugs off of the street that are then that money is being used to pay the suppliers. Yeah, they're not going into a fucking bank and be like, hundreds, please. Uh-huh. Yeah, no, like can. the money coming in is literally, like you said, ones fives tens hundreds everything so just the the amount itself is 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 insane so you had to be able to transport just large amounts everywhere because the faster you get that money back faster than you can re-up the more more money you can bring back or the more drugs you can send back it's just an ecosystem that has to be in such harmony and eventually they're making so much money that it doesn't really matter. The return will come eventually, mm-hmm. but they already have enough in the bank to where they can buy and resupply and send back yeah. out. So in there was, you know, like we were talking about, there's two ways kind of for drugs to be getting into the country. The tunnels are becoming more prominent, but it's still kind of, you know, the, the board mm-hmm. itself is still a secondary route because the Colombian sink, they haven't figured out, but you're also having, you know, Cocaine wasn't pro- or cocaine wasn't grown in Mexico. It was a Colombian product that came in. So that's product coming in. But you do still essentially have like marijuana and stuff and also heroin being done in Mexico that's being shipped in other ways as well. And so the DEA starts cracking down, you know, they're cracking down in the Caribbean. And in February of 1985, Enrique Camarena, he was a was he undercover or just a DEA agent? He was a DEA agent that was abducted. Okay. I heard that he was also undercover. So, because the whole thing with Enrique Camarena, DEA agent, he was abducted, tortured, and killed after his intel led to a raid. And it was the, it was the Guadalajara cartel's marijuana plantation, an a enormous one. What was the value of it? Two billion? Yeah, it was a lot of weed. It was like a two billion dollar value plantation for the product that it produced. It. What was it also called? The Bull Ranch? The to- something like Rancho Bull or something like that. There was a name yeah. for it. I can't remember exactly. What I'm saying though is, so he was the DEA agent. His intel led to it. It, it. And again, this is kind of where we have to try to compare information that we received. It sounded like, did he get it from an informant and then that information led to it? Because the way that the retaliation was against him, like if if he was just getting the intel from someone else, that wouldn't make sense for the retaliation to go directly or as severely against him. It almost felt like he had been, or I heard that he was actually kind of like embedded within a certain portion of like the cartel. The Guadalajara, yeah. And he absolutely could have been. Uh, you kind of have to throw any sort of logic out the window when you're talking about cartels. No, no, I realize Because that. even if it was, like, if he got this information from somebody else that wasn't supposed to say anything, or they did, or they did, or they did, they'll just go down every single telephone of that game of telephone. I guess it makes sense from both them perspectives that if he, was a, if he was a rat in there, they're making an example of saying, you don't fucking betray the cartel. If he's just strictly a DA agent working the case, 
then it sends a message of like, this is what's going to fucking happen to any other DEA agent that fucks with our shit. Well, and here's where we kind of start to interweave some webs. But uh, the man that was abducted, tortured, killed Camarena, mm-hmm. um, you remember Red, uh, Red Ribbon Week in school? Yes. Yeah, he's the reason that we have Red Ribbon Week in school. Oh. But at the same time, the Gallardo cartel was the one that was bringing cocaine up and bringing it into um, California. Okay. And this is where we cross into Iran-Contra territory because that was the first time that we had mentioned Camarano because there may have been a little work with the CIA or the DEA or the FBI in purchasing that cocaine in Wait, order to fund the Contras. Wait, Camarena Camarena. This guy? Yeah. Did we really touch back on that? Yep. Oh, man. Yeah, so he was a part of um, well, Iran-Contra. Join, join me in a re-listen of the Iran-Contra, <laughs> or if you haven't listened to it, go back on that one. Uh, I'm sure we'll bring him up during the Escobar uh, episode just because Camarena is involved in that too because the Gallardos were the ones that were the transporter of Pablo Escobar's cocaine. It, it makes a lot of sense because I wouldn't expect there to be a lot of well-known DEA agents that essentially were active in Mexico at the time because even at this point from kind of the relationship it sounds like there was still like a lot of contention with like the DEA, DEA even being allowed to operate down there. Yeah, the Mexican nationals didn't like any sort of help because yeah. it really was sort of a business and an industry in Mexico. And that's sort of where this becomes. I'm not going to blame America for any of this. Partially, uh, doctors, opioid, uh, opioid epidemic later on with the heroin that gets delivered to America. But there, b- there's a reason why it, it's not. It'd be hard for us. We could go on for an hour trying yeah. to debate that opium superhighway, all that kind of shit. There was a demand for it here. There was a supply for it there. If there's no demand for it, then there's no reason to supply it. It, it would not be a lucrative business. It wouldn't be being done. Yeah. And so it you have to look at what might have been a, a spur or like help to spur on that cause, What what was causing that. And this was back at a time too when – you know, opioids as a prescription medication, like they were just like, it's new, it's approved, just fucking go nuts. And only now, it wasn't like opioids became a thing. And then three years later, we were like, well, opiate, there's an epidemic. It's fucking opioid addiction is a real thing. Like this shit has been around for a long time as a prescription medication. And then it does take a while for a prescription medication to then filter itself down into a recreational you know, recreational being taken recreationally. There is a time frame until it gets kind of like prescribed enough to where there's yeah. a supply of it. I mean, there is, but it's all to me sort of related because when you introduce something like a, not a Norco, but like an Oxycontin, something like mm-hmm. that into society, and then you just hand it out with reckless abandon. Mm-hmm. And then all of a sudden you have this coming to Jesus moment or you get told that you're not allowed to prescribe that many of them. And someone's addicted to it. Yeah, they're hooked on opioids. Yep. And once pills become more and more expensive to get, you're still chasing that same opioid field, which mm-hmm. then leads you into street drugs and heroin. Have you heard of heroin? Yeah. I, heroin? Isn't that the female name for hero? How <laughs> harmful can it be? It's not. <laughs> I it just... America, uh, we get kind of a maybe a pass for the damage 
Not Excuse a pass. Me. Not a pass. There is an explanation behind it. So it's not just like everyone just loved fucking cocaine. Yes, there was a large portion of people that just love cocaine. But you're not just doing this for cocaine. You're also bringing in like we we're talking about heroin, other things like that. The marijuana, who the fuck cares? Like that can grow here. It was coming in from Canada. It's when you get into the stuff that is like very, that's like been scientifically proven as addictive and everything then it's going to, you know, there's a the re- a reason for that. Well, and that's sort of coming out of Camarena's death. We see America take that first foray into the war on drugs in 1986. So a year later, when Reagan puts out the war on drugs and you get all this extra funding to go to the DEA to start fighting this epidemic of drugs. I And I know the whole thing with Camarena, this is what kind of spurred this to happen. Is this like, uh, because they caught it also, like they've recorded it. And so I think, I don't know if through, they just sent the recording in or not. They sent the recording to the DEA, torturing him. Yeah. And And there was some shit. I I don't want to go into that or anything like that. This is already kind of depressing (laughs) enough for some of this shit. So let's not go to that. Anyway, what I'm saying though, I, I would imagine he wasn't the first DEA agent killed No, by, by these guys. I think maybe it was just something that maybe the media got a hold of or the news got a hold of. And because they essentially knew about this and knew the details of it, the government was like, ah, fuck, we can't. All right. Or this was also at a time when we were probably pretty got, had a pretty big war boner because shit hadn't been popping off for a while. We're like, why don't we launch another war on drugs? And this is when Reagan comes down. He's like, and, um, what happened to Agent Camarena was a horrible, heinous act, and so war on drugs. Did I say it right, Nancy? I and part of this, I mean, Len Bias. I think we mentioned in Iran Contra was another reason for the war on drugs. Len Bias, a very famous, very great basketball player, um, gets drafted number one to the Celtics and ends up dying from a cocaine overdose before he plays a game in the NBA. Did we mention that? Uh, I think I did. Okay. But I just, uh, the Len Bias story is very interesting. He'll get an episode eventually. But uh, yeah, it becomes this focus on trying to shut down these cartels. And when you focus on that, you see what's going on down in South America and in Colombia with Escobar. It's when we start putting resources toward it. Yeah. And we start going down and trying to help. Oh, shit. We help the Colombian government essentially try to stamp that out. Mm -hmm. Well, Um, They were also in Mexico trying to work a little bit of kind of breaking apart the middleman because essentially Mexico just was the middleman for Colombia to bring the cocaine. For Colombia to get in the cocaine, but there's still also heroin and also – the other thing too is like, yeah, we started doing that against Colombia, but the whole thing with um, Camarena was that it was the cartel that did this. So that also gave us the, you know, the reason that we needed to go into Mexico. And so that's when essentially, you know, it's it's both issues. It's where's the supply coming from and how's it getting in? And if there's additional stuff getting in that's coming through Mexico, they're like, well, shit, now we got to stamp this out because this is also a chain of supply. Well, in this too, it, it, at this point, it was really just primarily, there was a time in this country where heroin wasn't that big of a deal. Yeah. So it was essentially just marijuana and cocaine that are being moved. And he actually moves into heroin. We'll talk about it a little bit later, but he moves into heroin because he can control the supply because of the poppy. That's right. He found Mexico. Yeah. And it it was something that he could control the cost of making. He also did that with meth. Yeah. That was also one of the big things is he was basically like, Oh shit, I got heroin and meth now. He's like, I don't fucking need to, 
buy the cocaine or be paid a little bit of money to ship this through. He's like, you guys can keep your cocaine. Yeah. I'm going to order precursors for all these other drugs and be able to manufacture them myself. We'll get it. Control the means of production. We'll get into the craziness of that shit. So what it, um, Camarino also did was he basically put the red X on Felix Gallardo's head. Uh, Gallardo was arrested in 1989. So we see the, uh, Guadalajara cartel's main man. You see the head cut head off figure. the snake. Yeah. But then it turns out it's not a snake, it's a hydra. <laughs> so, and and you've kind of pushed this point to me this week and everything, and I understand the point where you're, what you're making of it is that your whole point was this, if it wasn't, you know, if it wasn't El Chapo, it would be the next guy up. That That's literally been proven because this was just exactly what happened. Gallardo ends up going down and it's the next man up. So these, you know, it kind of sends, at first, it sends all of the cartels, because they were all kind of, Gallardo's big thing was he almost just, like, united everyone under one cartel's banner. Yeah. Or it took over the most of the most mm-hmm. of that. And so now, all of a sudden, you have the figurehead of this being arrested, and it kind of sends his lieutenants and everything into a mode. It was almost like an Alexander the Great situation where all of the fucking lieutenants start dividing stuff up and start dividing up resources. Hey, you take this, you take this. And so El Chapo, along with two other guys, ends up starting the um, Sinaloa cartel, correct? Yeah, so um, the mob has used this strategy pretty well. Uh, so it was kind of something that was Cosa already Nostra? around. Cosa yeah, La Cosa Nostra, basically. So... After, it was the meeting of the families. Uh, yeah, that's exactly what this was. Yeah, Gallardo basically called the summit and brought all these family figureheads in. We're like, hey, uh, we have to figure out a way to do this. Obviously, we lost Gallardo's guidance and leadership. So what we're going to do... Yeah, so they reconvened this. Gallardo's... Gallardo, it was a an opposite of it. So it wasn't like we're going to elect one a new figurehead. Gallardo had brought it all together, and these guys are basically like, listen... We've all been, you know, in the same positions as lieutenants or whatever. It was almost amazing that they were that there wasn't just a mass killing off of someone trying to fill that power vacuum. They were all just kind of like, okay, let's divide this shit up between well, like the Felix brothers who for, end up forming like the Tijuana cartel. So they had that area in Baja, correct? They ran part of Baja and then Tijuana into San Diego. And Tijuana was widely, I mean, was like extremely valuable because you literally had it right there on the border. I think TJ and San Diego were like 30 miles apart. Yes. So you had them running that corridor. You had the Carrillo Fuentes family, which were formed um, as the Juarez cartel. And then you had Chapo and Ismail and he'll be known as El Mayo. Um, Zambada. Zambada, that's right. Um, those the, were the two main guys. There was one other guy. Aguero, Palma. That's right. Yep. Palma. Palma. Palma, unfortunately, has a lot of real bad stuff that yeah. goes on to him. So they end up forming the Sinaloa cartel and named after, and they, they take care of that area. So the Sinaloa cartel, they controlled two border crossings from Tecate in Baja and in the Sonora Mountains into Arizona. Yep. So uh, Tecate was Sonora into Arizona, and then the Baja was Baja into um, like San Diego. Okay. So it, it was partially that, but it was kind of the water route to get in that way. Gotcha. From Baja. Um, so and again, that's not just like two two routes. 
those are two border crossing areas in which you could establish multiple, multiple crossing tunnels, tunnels all that kind of stuff in those areas. Flight patterns, yeah. anything like that. But it's still there. the area. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, Guzman had actually popped up on the DEA's radar even before this happened. Um, the informants that were working with him as a kind of like a, a courier manager, specifically as the cartel logistics guy, um, they're like, this dude knows his shit. Like, we need to keep an eye on Chapo because Chapo really knows what he's doing. And if he ever wants to venture out onto his own or in a situation like this mm-hmm. where we actually see this cartel kind of break off into these non-aggression packed having cartels to where they all, if they stay in their own lane, everybody's going to eat. Everybody's going to make money. If Guzman gets a hold of this, he's really good at what he does. Yeah. So we probably need to go after him next. And, um, paired with, uh, El Guero. El Guero was the guy that was helping him run the airplanes. That's El Mayo. He was known as El Mayo, right? Uh, no, that's El Palma. Oh, yeah. that's right. Okay. And Zabata was a, a member of the Guatemala cartel too, or not the Guatemala, the um, Guadalajara. And so you have these three figureheads of the Sinaloa cartel who are all really seasoned, who are all very disciplined, mm-hmm. and who basically kind of are like the elder statesmen of cartels as far as everybody else that splits off. Everybody's kind of a little bit wild. Like, as far as the way that they handle things, they're a little bit more fast and loose, whereas the Sinaloa cartel is very militant about mm-hmm. what they're doing. They follow the El Chapo way of just if somebody fucks up, you shoot them in the head. And we'll see kind of as this war f- for uh, land in these ports of entry into America come into play, the shit that these people do is just absolutely insane. So after the split... Guzman pretty much from from the offset Guzman had his eye on the Tijuana territory and he'd already he was already kind of near that area because he was going into California a little bit via Baja so he kind of felt like that was natural that he should take over that territory and so he aimed his sights at the Felix brothers um, basically sending a hitman a Mr. Armando Lopez (laughs) to basically speak with one of the brothers who ended up killing Lopez. Yeah, before they even had their face-to-face meeting, he just killed him. And Here's the thing. Do you need to send a hitman? Maybe if you don't send a hitman, and I'm sure that, you know, if you send maybe a lawyer or someone that's non-threatening, like, I, I know they don't know that it's a hitman, but, like, if the guy had a reputation, they knew who he was, then, of course, you're going to be like, why the fuck are you sending a hitman to try... That's just kind of how I see it. Yeah, I mean, he was a higher-up member of the Sinaloa cartel, so he had, you know, credentials as somebody who wasn't just a hitman, but somebody who also didn't have trouble spilling blood. Okay. So the fact that he was just killed immediately before they could even have the sit-down really probably put a bad taste in Guzman's mouth. Well, not only did he end up killing him, (laughs) but then they order hits on Lopez's family, and they were like, okay, we need to start sending people into the Sinaloa cartel into leadership where basically it they and this happens over the course of like, you know, this kind of kicks off smaller scale wars of like the drug wars between yeah. the or the cartel wars. So they get a guy into a position. He was actually like a South American assassin or something like that. I remember reading it off of what you have here. So El Guero his wife, so you have 
El Mayo Huzambada. El Guero is... Uh, uh, Palma. Palma. Okay, so you have Palma's wife. She ends up, like, getting seduced by this guy. Yep. Pulls out, like... Seven million dollars. Seven million dollars out of, like, an account of his in California. Then she gets her head fucking cut off by this dude, and the head was sent to Palma. Yeah, I think they said that it was, like, the first beheading on record that they had. Yeah. And things are really starting to ratchet up in the violence category. (laughs) That seemed relatively like how, like it, it, like we're going to send you into first, you will seduce her, then steal his money. And uh, can I chop her head off after that? I, yeah, I guess (laughs) wait till you get, get the money. And then I guess, yeah, fucking psycho. We don't really care what you do with her after that. Just just get the money. But you know that that was planned. It was like, send a fucking message. Well, I, my question is, does it feel like beheading somebody to start out was probably like, we jumped over a bunch of other steps. Yes. Like, we didn't send like it's the hand so, with the wedding ring like, on it, that, a nose, there's an something, eye. There's, <laughs> I, and I know that like, that's been a method like throughout history, you know, the guillotine, that's how they used to execute people. But there's something so just like still so fucked up that we've developed all these other ways to kill in so much quicker ways that there's something, man, the word disrespectful isn't the right word to say, but there's something almost so fucking personal and disrespectful. That's what it is. It's just personal. About fucking like hearing just of a beheading. That That's why I think it's that fucking scene in seven. What's in the box? Yeah. What's it? That's why it's just like, oh fuck. Like that's the head in the box. And in addition, they also orchestrated a failed car bombing on El Chapo. So they're already like, they're like, yeah, we're just fucking going after leadership. We're g- <laughs> you wanted, you came in and basically just wanted to speak with us. Be like, we fucking knew what you wanted to speak to us about. I, the car bombing is so fucking funny to me because it was just, uh, Chapo was just in his house on a ranch and he had security detail outside, of course. And at course. this point, as him as one of the heads of the Sinaloa cartel, he already has multiple properties. Oh, yeah. He owns all these places because you have money. to understand that there's houses that all these drugs have to be going. And within all of these houses, he's already, like, in some of these houses and ranches, he's already developing, like, escape routes and tunnels. This is going to be a huge, a huge thing of his. So anywhere he goes or he's holding up, assume there's a trap fucking door. Yeah. So he's just sitting inside of his house at the ranch. Security's outside and everything. His car just blows up. So you have to imagine, like, you're just sitting inside your house. You're eating, doing whatever you're doing in there. You're crocheting and knitting. It's your boom outside. And you look outside, and one of your vehicles is just blown to shit. You're yeah. Like, the fuck was that? What were you guys watching? Like, man, we've been out here the whole day. We didn't see shit. And he's like, oh, yeah. that was a car bomb. Yeah. And then at that point, you're like... You guys didn't see shit. That's even how many of those guys after that went off? Probably got killed. Of that detail, got fucking killed. Yeah, yeah. For inattention, he, had, he did have um, a habit of what did he chain people to trees mm-hmm. on the road going up to like one of his estates or his ranches, just as a fucking example. So when people went up, they knew he wasn't to be fucked with. The amount of stuff that they did during these cartel wars is pretty incredible. When they would go through and kill. 10 or 12 members of a cartel in a rival area, they would just take them out to the edge of town and they would just literally stack the bodies out there. Or like you were talking about the capitations and cut them up, do anything like that. But it was just like, everybody was trying to, uh, Vlad the Impaler was that the head on sticks guy. 
That was the whole body, like, up the ass through the mouth. Okay. Well, this was essentially like that. Like, they were just setting these dead cartel members out yeah, for people you, to see and be like, okay, maybe we point, don't fuck like, these You guys. cut off one head, we'll cut off three. It was just a weird fucking escalation of this shit of who could send, like, the most fucked up message. I, part of it, too, was it would be they would go into these other guys' territories mm-hmm. and kill people and then bring them outside to basically show them, like, yeah, we can penetrate That's your the area. That's thing I'm thinking about. Like, he gets... His, he's like, how the fuck did they sneak in here and put a fucking car bomb on my vehicle? And this was all the way back um, in Sinaloa. Yeah. So this was deep into his territory. Mm-hmm. So in November 1992, the Tijuana cartel sends gunmen uh, to assassinate El Chapo. So now you have... Oh, yeah, that is still the same cartel, right? Yep. Okay. So, yeah, they send gunmen to assassinate Guzman um, in a car at in uh, Guadalajara. And this was the time, this wasn't even the airport one, right? No, no, this was just a separate time leading up to it where they saw him driving through Guadalajara and called in the rest of the heavies. That's right. This was like, because they were kind of tracking each other and all that kind of stuff. So they were just waiting for opportunities to strike when they were outside of like their home turf and shit. It was literally like they were playing spy versus spy. But it was also to show you how they fucking had people everywhere. Mm-hmm. Like this was all over. Cause Guadalajara was the capital, correct? Uh, that's Khan That's in Sinaloa. Guadalajara is not positive. Is that the capital of Mexico? Like proper? I think, Mexico City is the capital of Mexico, isn't it? Maybe. Mexico de Efe, District Federal. Oh, yeah, there you go. But, uh, yeah, it was just, they saw his car driving around. They brought in Sicarios. The Sicarios zoned in. Of course, the car that he's traveling in wasn't just him and a driver and a security guard. He was flanked by a bunch of other of his Sicarios. And they're actually called, um, I believe, the Negros. As far as black and Spanish is like his black army. Yes, uh, this is where my mistake was. So Guadalajara is the um, capital of um, Jalisco. Okay. That's what it is. Yeah. yeah. Sorry. Sorry about that. So his, uh, these Negros that he has around him are like his secret service, like mm-hmm. his hit squad. They are just meant to protect him. It's like his They're inner his, layer. Uh, oh, what am I trying to think? <sighs> what are they? Um, Mossad. Yes. Yeah, very much Mossadish. And so they get into this big shootout in the middle of Guadalajara. And um, it was basically like just uh, the only way that he was going to get out was if um, his squad was able to push them back Mm -hmm. with gunfire enough. So they're just out in the middle of a street in Guadalajara having this shootout. This is literally street warfare. Yep. Yep. As Chapo is pulling away and gets away in his car. They then respond, um, Guzman Aguero sent a group of these Negros down and ambushed the Felix brothers in Puerto Vallarta, and they were just out on the beach at a hotel. I heard they were at a club. Oh, was it a club? Yeah, I think at? it was something that, oh, I'm trying to remember, it was a discotheque, because I remember nice. I love when they use the term discotheque. Yeah. So they were there at a discotheque. Yeah, so Guzman Aguero, Guerrero, um, Guerrero, sorry, Guerrero. send a group of essential, like the Sinaloa, like car enforcers They're and negros. stuff. Yep, exactly. To ambush them at this discotheque. And basically, like you said, so they exchange about a thousand rounds. The brothers escape into the bathroom, crawl through the AC and ventilation <laughs> ducts, and fucking end up getting into an escape car. 
A thousand rounds, man. Think You're, about how long that would take. It, it should go without saying during all of these engagements where they're trying to go ahead and kill these leaders or getting into just like open fights. There's really no concern with like civilian casualties. Ew, ew. They said that during the, the war and, you know, they said during the kind of the war on drugs or the car, sorry, the cartel wars that were going around down there, something in the neighborhood of like, they said directly or indirectly, he's responsible for like 100,000 or over a hundred thousand deaths. Uh, and that's, to me, that's a very low number because yeah. he was really the one that introduced the violence into these cartel wars. He was the one that it's because the they Andy. used to all not be at war. Like Gallardo yeah. was able to go ahead and keep this and like, there wasn't a reason to fight because they were they would all have to answer to him. There were still more diplomatic ways of going That's about it than being like, I want this territory, I'm just gonna kill whoever. I know there is, but this it. is what's so surprising that the fact that the territories were supposed to be I imagine it like Gallardo it's like that scene in the office, Gallardo dies and all of a sudden it's a it's a standoff and they all raise their guns at each other. Yeah. It's like we want Tijuana. It's like, okay, we'll take and they just slowly back up from each other, and then as soon as they get home, they're like, Now it's time to kill these guys. But uh, this this had to be something which was very evident was going to happen. Like this power vacuum, if it was led by one guy, all of these guys saw that one guy was able to lead it. They had that example. And so at that point, now it looked to them like, yeah, we're going to split this up. But every, each of them had to have the intention of being like, I know one guy can be in charge of this. And I've seen how yeah. you know, much that guy makes. I'm going to now be that one guy. I just got to take these other guys out. It, the amount of people that one little instance just left six people dead but to think about just squeezing off a thousand rounds in public and then nobody is arrested like everybody just gets away it's just a thousand rounds but it's literally just constant a constant stream of just gunfire yeah and, and it's probably ak-47s assault rifles That's things like Uzis, that. all that kind of stuff the stuff you're going to sneak in to be able to try to assassinate someone in a club it just to do that out in public seems like such a I don't know, it just blows my mind to think that they were just that brazen about it. Well, it just keeps going back and forth. So May 24th in 93, um, the Felix brothers, they send their top hitman <laughs> to Guadalajara International Airport. They'd had some intel that Chapo was in the parking lot. And basically, in a case of like mistaken identity because of the car, it was a similar, it was the same car, it was a green. Oh, yeah. So this whole thing is pretty weird how it all lines up because they had actually sent this hitman to assassinate Chapo. He gets down there to where they sent him to. I don't remember where it was. It might've been down in Sinaloa realizes they get bad Intel. He's not there. He's coming back up in the airport in Guadalajara, or maybe it was to go home. Maybe they sent him to Guadalajara uh -huh. to find him and couldn't find him as he's getting ready to leave. He gets this intel that um, Chapo is at the exact same airport after Chapo had been in hiding. He's at the exact same airport, and they said that he was sitting outside in a white Mercury uh, like a, sedan. A sedan. Like, yeah. And so, I mean, think of like a, a Mercury sedan that I would imagine probably like an 80s, like oh, yeah. fucking big, you know, fucking big old sedan. So... They end up opening fire. 20 gunmen they call yep, in. Calling 20 gunmen. They surround this white mercury and just pump it full of lead. Well, it turns out that the mercury didn't belong to El Chapo and it definitely wasn't El Chapo in it because they just assassinated the Archbishop Juan 
Jesus Posadas Camp, uh, Ocampo. Ocampo, who was the, the cardinal, the leading figure of the Catholic Church in the entire country of Mexico. Yes, he wasn't he the card. He was he an archbishop or a cardinal? Archbishop. Okay. Archbishop is like the the guy guy in okay. the area. Like he's he's a a. I uh, want to say heard cardinal, but we'll say archbishop. No, he, he was the, the top okay. guy for the Catholic Church okay. in Mexico. So this all happens in front of one or in front of yeah, he's uh, like El Chapo fucking, in he's a like, green Buick. He's like fucking like 100, 150. <laughs> and like, I just imagine this of like him seeing this and just leaning over and opening the car and just crawling out and then getting behind it and running the other fucking yeah. direction. Yeah, that is like holy shit. There's somebody else really famous here that they want to assassinate at the I airport. Gotta, like I if he didn't even know. I think at that point you just have to know that they just got the wrong car at that point. Yeah, and you just get out of there. You get the fuck out of there. Well, it turns out uh, this is also a very fun thing that we'll talk about with Ocampo. But uh, Ocampo shot up 14 times. Mm-hmm. There were six other people killed in the crossfire, and uh, it ends up coming out that they think that it may not have been a missed target because they believed that there was a chance that Ocampo had a briefcase with him that he, excuse me, didn't let out of his possession. Like he wouldn't hand it off to the driver that was killed right next to him. He wanted to hold on to it. And they believed that Ocampo was boarding a plane to fly into Mexico city and to give the president a basically like a debriefing and a rundown of how a structure of one of the cartels worked. So they're trying to say that the hit that was put how, out, how what's their thought process on why he would even have that or how he would have good that. against evil. Like he's just trying to do. I, his, I feel like that's something because this ends up basically completely. And I'm not saying public opinion was with the cartels at this point, but if anything is going to go ahead and drive public opinion 100% against you, it's going to be killing the lead Catholic in yeah. a country of Catholics. Very and true. so all of a sudden the government is now like, well, shit, we're already trying to fight against this thing. Now we really have to fucking do this just so in the public eye we're, you know, trying to avenge the death of the, the archbishop. And so once a manhunt, you know, opens for the, uh, the Padres killers, Chapo basically, he fled to Guatemala um, using a fake passport. I'm sure he had many during his time. Oh, yeah. And basically he, cause he was wanted as part of it. Like yeah, that was the other thing too, was he didn't shoot anybody. Essentially they didn't know he that didn't he shoot was anyone there. at that moment. I can't even like, I can't even confidently say he didn't shoot anybody that day. Yeah. And, well, and, and, I'm not and, and, and assume that day, that's going to be true. But, but what I'm saying is during that shooting, he was not one of the people shooting. He wasn't actively involved in it. Correct. He was just there. Okay. So he ends up, you know, when they issue the warrants and start like, and this is when it starts coming out on TV, media, things like that. They have a picture of him. It ends up coming out that El Chapo is also wanted for, as part of like an accessory to this murder. I, it also makes sense for the government to be like, we're just going to try to sweep up a whole bunch of people during this and then yeah. worry about if they had something to do with it later. Because this was guess cartel what? violence. We need to get rid of cartel. That's what I'm saying. The public's not going to be like, well, he technically didn't shoot. They're going to be like, he's part of the cartel. They were after him. They're going to be like, yep, he's the reason the archbishop <laughs> is dead. So, not us. Yep. So he allegedly paid a Guatemalan military official, um, Otto Perez, $1.5 million to allow him to hide there. And the reason this starts with allegedly 
is because this story is so wildly interesting to me. So um, Otto Perez may or may not have been this official. Otto Perez was a part of the Guatemalan military who then later on became president of Guatemala. This is the guy that I was telling you about. Uh And he came under an indictment for allegedly taking bribes to cut off... um, Oh, shit. What's the money that you pay to bring shit in? Import? Yeah. Export tax tariffs? Tariffs, yes. To cut tariffs on products and supplies coming in in exchange for millions of dollars as president. Hmm. So he gets put on trial for this. His defense attorney brings up this defense that um, Perez was one of the ones that captured El Chapo. Uh And El Chapo, he gets up on the stand, Perez gets up on the stand to defend himself, tells this story that he was the one, his army group was the one that caught El Chapo. He does. Well, so El Chapo (laughs) offered him $1.5 million. Correct. But to the public, all of this ends up coming out, but to the public at that time... Because he turns right around, and here's the thing. Did he accept the money? Did he not? That's kind of what we're going back and forth on here. Regardless, he either doesn't take the money, turns around and hands in El Chapo, or he takes the money. Both are likely. Based upon what we're going to get into as far as people willing to accept money to do shit to help this guy, it's entirely likely. Regardless, though, he just basically turns right around and turns him in. Well... So he used that as a defense in his case. Like as a character, like I've done case. this great yeah, like, service. Why would I take money from these guys? El Chapo offered me one and a half oh, million dollars. Gotcha. And so. Listen, I've been offered more. Yeah. So this defense comes up. Well, later on, after they find some of El Chapo's books, there is a $1.5 million payment made to Otto Perez. In a ledger. Yeah, in a ledger, Because none of this is traceable because it's all cash. So Perez used this as a defense that he didn't take the money, but El Chapo has $1.5 million that were earmarked to, or was earmarked to go to Perez. You know, the argument is, (laughs) well, he could have just written that, but then the other argument is like, why Why? would he have that written down? Yeah, exactly. So like you say, yeah, he... Says, okay, um, they're staying at a hotel right on the border of Mexico with Guatemala. One of the other things that they had figured out, too, was Guatemala was actually almost better for them because as these planes from Mexico or as Colombia were coming up with the cocaine, mm-hmm. they started to intercept and pick off these planes and all that kind of thing. Well, Guatemala was so far less advanced that they could fly these planes into Guatemala. And by as far the time, as like their detection techniques. Yeah, they were like, hitting these yeah. runways that were harder to get to, mm-hmm. and then they were just transporting it up through the Guatemala-Mexico border. Gotcha. So they were almost using it as like, okay, this might be a better situation. But Perez turns him in, uh, the army comes to the hotel. And the transfer is complete. Yeah. <laughs> like, that's the other thing you have to think about from like a, a Got legit- the money. Good. Yeah, as as far as like a logistical standpoint and everything, if this whole thing is being done and trying to be done untraceable, there's this is I guess an argument against it. Did Guzman essentially just have like 1.5 million dollars on him at any given time? Was he just carrying around duffel bags of money? Because if they're down in Guatemala and he's like, you know, I don't know, I can't remember how many days it was between the time that he offers him. It was like a matter of him. weeks, I think. But like. He's he's gonna if he's gonna accept the money he's got to wait to get the money yeah. before he does this but yeah he ends up uh, turning him in and sending him back to Mexico now at this point it wasn't just like no you're not allowed to cross the border it's like you're under arrest here here you are to the Mexican authorities 
this is where I think the reason comes that I he just traveled with money all the time was because before they went into Guatemala, he met up with one of the heads of the Sinaloa cartel and he goes, all right, I got $400 million out there. It's like $400 million. He's like, I got $400 million out there. It's out in the cars. You take $200 million. You give it to my family to make sure that they can live in case anything happens to me while I'm on the run or I get arrested or anything like that. And he goes like, okay, that kind of makes sense. Uh, what about the other $200 million? He goes, the other $200 million is to run the cartel in my absence. Yes. So he just had $400 million Day-to-day with Day-to-day operating him. costs, office supplies, all yeah, that kind dude. of shit, you know? Go ahead and buy pens. You just got $200 million yeah. to run this empire. So he basically had, as he's doing this, the guy is already setting up essentially a contingency plan if he's unable to operate essentially on the outside of prison. Well, January 19th, 2001, um, he is, or no, he's sent to prison essentially, sorry, prior to this. Um, he gets sentenced to 20 years for drug trafficking and bribery. Like, to me, do you think they were just trying to throw the things at him that they knew without a doubt they could prove and stick? Because essentially this guy has murdered so many fucking people that like, how are you not just sentencing this guy to life? You just, you can't pin anything on him. That's what I'm saying. So you just go to the things that you can 100% try to prove or get a conviction for, and then you just worry about it the rest later. Well, in other countries... Their sentencing guidelines for different things are so much different than they are here. He's in kept himself so insulated to the actual murders themselves that he can just say, "I didn't order that." He's yeah, like, "That it, was these guys." You can't trace anything back. My guys got a little wild out there and started yeah. firing. So he ends up doing his time at the uh, federal facility on the outskirts of Juarez, and he ends up serving. Here's the thing: it the Sinaloa cartel while he's in there. Doesn't skip a beat. He's got uh, his brother running it the day-to-day. And when he's in prison, this is kind of like a... You know what this is? It's a fucking Hitler situation. A lot. As as he is in prison, he's essentially bribing basically everyone in the fucking prison for all of the luxuries that he wants. He basically gets, you know, a large cell... Uh, basically has people bringing him in whatever he wants. He gets his conjugal visits. There was um, a women's side of the prison that they would actually bring female inmates over to him. Yep, and he ended up uh, getting just real smitten with one of them who yeah. used to be like a, feder- a federal agent or a federal cop that ended up getting arrested for bribery. Uh, it was robbery. Robbery, that's yeah. right, robbery. Um, but basically, yeah, he's getting... The only difference is he's now in prison and he's not able to leave, but... Everyone that works within this prison is being paid probably in one way or another by El Chapo to provide him essentially the most comfortable stay that he can have. Well, And it's still allowing him – he's able to actually communicate to people on the outside with messages and all that kind of stuff very easily to actually help run the day-to-day workings of the cartel itself. uh, And weirdly enough, while he's in, um, he actually – it was his ex-brother-in-law, so his first wife's brother – goes and talks to a DE agent and says, hey, um, El Chapo wants to talk to you guys. They're like, what? He's like, yeah, El Chapo wants to talk to you guys. They're like, well, what about like the FBI or like somebody in the government? He's like, no, 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 no. He, he said he wants to talk to you guys. They're like, okay, well, this could be really good. Like we could get some stuff from him. They end up meeting in a room and El Chapo comes in and they're like, are you um, – Joaquin Guzman Loria, and he's like, yeah. And they ask him a couple questions, and these DE agents are like, holy shit, we have this guy. We have this drug kingpin in our presence. They show him his 
their badges and Chapo was just shocked that this actually happened. Like they sent actual heads of the DEA mm-hmm. down to meet with him and they're asking him about all these different crimes that he committed. And he's kind of getting a big head. He's like, yeah, it probably takes a pretty smart guy to do something like that. He's basically you bragging. Agree? Yeah. And, uh, he basically says, so I'm going to give you, uh, basically the construction of all these other cartels. Mm-hmm. I'm going to give you, I'll all give you this- the structure. Yeah. He's currently in like in heads positions mm-hmm. and their lieutenants and everything. I know all of my information essentially on the, the running structure of these other cartels. Well, they were like, fuck yeah, dude, that sounds awesome. What do you want out of it? And he goes, just go ahead and make sure that you waive all of the extradition paperwork that you guys I want to do my time here. Yeah. He said he wanted to I just want to make sure that my time is done here in this country. He's like, I'll probably be in here for the rest of my life. Because here's uh, the point, though. He has to do this because there is a push because of all, you know, like you said, as soon as, you know, we're watching essentially this, these cartel wars going on, we know to a degree who the heads of them are. It's not like we can get to them or anything like that. So when we're looking at this guy and we can tie all of these, you know, drugs that we know are getting in back to him, we want to try to extradite him to make him face charges in America for essentially all of the laws that he's broken here. The Mexican government's like, no, like this is, this guy lives here. He's, you know, done this to our people. We're keeping him here. And so there's some talk already about extraditing him. So in order for him to kind of nip that, He's trying to cut a deal, basically. At the same time, what he's doing is he's like, I'll give you all my competition's information yeah. <laughs> so you can take them out. So he's also finding a way to utilize this to actually strengthen his hand. He's like, wouldn't you guys just want to end the violence and everything? But at the same time, they've got to be looking at this guy and being like, but yeah, but then you're just going to take over thing and we know you're going to – are you going to stop sending drugs into like no. our country? No, yeah, he he was trying to basically X out his competition while kind of giving himself... Maybe they felt like, though, that it would be easier to go ahead and take him out if they... Because they knew he was going to be in jail. Yeah. They knew he could still run it, but after they took these other guys out, then they could turn their attention. It's like, we've trapped this rat, so instead of focusing on killing this rat, let's actually go out, because he's going to tell us where all the other rats are. Mm-hmm. We'll take them out, because we know we're just going to be able to come back and take care of him later. They decided not to do it, though. They told him not a fucking chance. Yes, but because of that. Maybe at that point they... There was a strategy that we employed to get rid of Escobar, and again, that's still that episode, but they took care of the Medellin cartel first, even though there was a warring faction in the Cali cartel that mm-hmm. was actively trying to take down Pablo too. Yeah. So after they wiped out the Medellin cartel, then they were able to focus on the Cali cartel. Like, instead of trying to play whack-a-mole... That's what I'm saying. They were just going after... That's why it's surprising they didn't take the deal, but you also got to understand that these guys probably came down there and saw... Like, it wouldn't take much walking into his cell or some shit like that, or just taking a look around the prison, being like, this guy's fucking running this. Like, he's not slowing down about this. Like, he's we we think that, what, is he not being able to run? No, we can probably tell that his business is still being run, you know, on the outside. Yeah. Well, they they definitely had the idea that not, or waiving those extraditions and making sure that he wouldn't be charged in America, because he also knows, too, as soon as he goes to America, he's not going to be able to run the Sinaloa cartel. Only that. There's going to be no transfer of information or anything like that. Yeah. He's not going to be getting the preferential treatment, no, essentially, in, in American prisons. So on January, this is, sorry, I was getting ahead of myself, January 19th, 2021, 
I think El Chapo senses essentially that there, I think that there have been some more talks and he's kind of heard us more talks about extradition and he feels that that's back on the table, then he probably needs to make his move at this point. So through basically probably a combination of bribery and threats, he basically is able to have a prison guard, Francisco Rivera, smuggle him out of the facility in a laundry cart. Basically just rolls up to his cell, holds up a sheet, he climbs in, they put the sheet over him, and this guy wheels him out through like several gates, Yep. which means that he's not working by himself. There's obviously a schedule to work certain things to make sure certain people aren't in certain places. Cause I'm telling you right now, the, one guy isn't like opening and operating all the gates. There has to be, I think there were end up being like three or four people that were sent to prison for this. So the really cool part about this is, uh, Francisco Rivera was just kind of the patsy. He, he obviously, he helped, uh, Guzman get out. They go through all these different gates he helps Guzman get loaded into the back of this van. Mm-hmm. He jumps in the van to take the dirty laundry yeah. away. Chapo's like, I'm thirsty. So they stop at a gas station, and Chapo can't be let out because they're yeah, going to be They have a change of clothes or something like everywhere. that, but even then, yeah. he's still, you know, people will still recognize him if they paid attention or anything like that. And so, yeah, he goes in to get him a bottle of water, and as he comes back out of the gas station, the doors open, and fucking Chapo's, he's disappeared into the night. So it went from both of these guys being wanted for this prison escape. Well, yeah, to... this guy isn't like he—he he was a prison guard. He wasn't essentially like uh, a fucking he as much of a mole as someone could just yeah. be like, we're either going to pay you or we're going to kill your family, help him escape. This guy meant nothing. He yeah. was just a means to an end, and he ends up going to prison for for his role in it. Um, yeah, like kind of we were alluding to, like he was kind of due to be extradited to America. They were trying to figure out something that could stick on him. Money laundering, money laundering was a big one that came up that they could really like pin to him. And so after he gets out, he hasn't really missed a beat in leadership. He slides right back into the role. Um, the boss is back. He sets his sights on the uh, Juarez cartel territory run by the Carrillo Fuentes family. Things go real south for the Carrillo Fuentes Correo Fuentes family. So what ended up happening to the Felix brothers? I forgot. Uh, they. <sighs> was the problem resolved while he was in? I believe that they ended up getting arrested. Okay. And they may have been taken down at some point because he was in for. That's, that's the reason why he's not focused on these guys when he comes out. I think the situation actually kind of had resolved itself in one way or another during the time he was in there for seven years before his escape. Well, he also too, I mean, Juarez is a huge area because Juarez, I believe is right across the border from a Texas town. Yes. So it's Nogales could be Nogales. Yeah. But it's a, a pretty open corridor that would be really good. One of the other things that he kind of pioneered, which, again, is a pretty smart business plan, was he would basically – he was the first guy to be like, oh, um, these 18-wheelers are going across the border carrying all this produce. El Paso. El, okay, El Paso. El Paso. Um, all these big 18 wheelers are carrying like all these fruits and vegetables and shit across the border. It's a huge port of entry. It's like one of the main ones in Texas. But he thinks to himself, well, why don't we just start packing all of our drugs inside of the fruits and vegetables and everything else that's going up there? The pepper cans and like sealed up stuff. Like, you know, border patrol opens it and sees a bunch of sealed cans and everything. 
they're not going to just assume that we're sophisticated. Like there's, you know, th- and there's also so many shipping. Yeah. So much shipping and so many trucks coming through tractor trailers that to check them all, even if some of ours are getting caught, it, they can't possibly just from a logistical perspective, check them all. No. And if you pull one of them over and it's got $50,000 worth of cocaine in it, and that's the one that you're focused and on. three more are uh-huh. passing it in the yeah. same time. It, yeah. So it's just basically if you flood the market like that or if you flood the port of entry, they're not going to be able to catch it all. They're going to catch some. Just to this day, we still see the exact same shit. All these little hidden compartments and cars Mm -hmm. and 18-wheelers and all that shit, that was literally the same thing that they did. So in order to you know take advantage of this and to take control of it on September 11th in 2004, see, we're getting up like more current. Oh, yeah. And everything. So... Yeah, technically, that still is history. Um, Rodolfo Carrillo uh, Fuentes and family were actually killed outside of a mall in Culiacan by the um, Las Negros, correct? Yep. Okay, so here's the other thing, too. What are they doing in the Sinaloa capital? Yeah, man. And, and I'm not saying that it's their fault, of course, or anything like that. But, like, <laughs> at the same time, like... There's obviously all of this cartel fighting going on. It's like, yeah, we're in the capital of the state in which this other cartel is kind of like in charge of. That is now a free man. Yeah. But at the same time, the Juarez cartel wasn't really a part of his issues that he had with the Felix brothers. So they didn't assume that they had fucking targets on their backs. Yeah. So it was probably took them by surprise. But as soon as Rodolfo gets wiped out, all of a sudden, the city of Juarez just becomes like this war zone. And the cartel war that went on, it wasn't just the Sinaloans that killed him and then just walked in and took it over. There were still members of the Juarez cartel that were trying to fight for their territory and for their area. Mm -hmm. But all these other smaller cartels that have popped up or people that were helping out the Juarez cartel immediately tried to jump on that area. And that area, Juarez, Mexico... um, over 60,000 people have been killed in that territory since 2006. Jesus. December 2006, too, so late in 2006. And again, those are probably pretty low numbers, but to think that out of that 60,000 people, it's a great chance that most of them were just people that were in public civilians that oh, weren't a part of yeah, this. They just get caught man. in the crossfire of things. It's not even, con- yeah, it's not even considered. Like, yeah. So after that, Uh, The Sinaloa Cartel kind of starts to, not necessarily fall apart, but sort of starts to fray. Um, The top lieutenants, the Beltran, uh, Larea, or what the fuck is it? Let's just go Beltran brothers. Okay, the Beltran brothers. There were five brothers that were the Sinaloa's top lieutenants, and um, they basically got really angry at Guzman. because he, they found out that he was trying to basically give this intelligence up. To he the was DEA trying to utilize essentially who they felt were like the government and the authorities, like their enemies. He was feeding them information to try to take out their enemies. But at the same time, they're probably looking at that like you're still informing. Yeah, you're still a rat. Even yeah. though you're doing it to somebody else, you're still a rat. And as the Beltrons leave, obviously they need somebody else to pair up with. And the Gulf Cartel steps in in the form of Los Zetas, and the Zetas are kind of like the paramilitary group of the Gulf Cartel. The Gulf Cartel are going to be anybody that handles any of the shipping lanes around the Gulf of Mexico. Okay. So they're going to be on the eastern side of things. And it, it probably also makes sense, too, if you're kind of looking at it from the 
And like, you're like, why, you know, did the Beltran brothers, you know, go against him instead of, you know, dropping dimes? That probably, you know, was part of it. But also as they take over additional areas, his operation is getting larger, which means potentially their roles in that are getting bigger. They're, you know, carrying, looking over more territory. They're like, man, you know, we could just carve ourselves off a piece of this. Yeah. If we're all together and it's strength in numbers. So let's just go ahead and let's take care of this area in the Gulf area. And then, you know, fucking his, you know, El Chapo's area is on the other side of the country. Well, they also probably saw his entry into Juarez is like he's mm-hmm. he's moving east. He's coming more towards our shit. So maybe we need to get on board with this first. So the Beltrans and, you know, the Los Atos, they end up going to war with the Sinaloa cartel. And El Chapo finally becomes Mexico's most wanted man while he's on the run. Because, again, he's escaped from. Yeah, he's this is still after his prison escape. Yeah, he's not just like <laughs> everyone's like not looking for him. Like he's already wanted. He's being hunted. But, again, he has all of these properties, all these safe houses. And he has essentially unlimited resources in which to keep moving around. But he's not trying to escape outside the country. He's still running the cartel. He's just doing it as a wanted man. And he was on the run until 2014 when on well Valentine's Day in 2014, the Mexican military actually raided his ex-wife's house where he was actually hiding. And his ex-wife's house just coincidentally had an armored door. So, like, he knew at some point yeah, he had to have places where he was going to go. These oh, places yeah. were reinforced. And while this, um, I think it was the Mexican Marines or something like that, while they essentially took, I think, like, 10 to 20 seconds to beat down this steel door with like a hand battering ram. He basically was able to escape under a secret passage, which was a control panel that you had to activate to hydraulically lift the bathtub yep. up, tilted off the floor. And him and a couple of his guys end up taken off through this secret escape tunnel in the bathroom. So they, they miss out on him on this. He actually is able to escape, get to whatever the escape, you know, the end of the tunnel was get into a vehicle and get, get taken out of there. One of the other really tough things that Mexico had to deal with in trying to apprehend Chapo was he was kind of a man of the people. Like he, he did a lot of things to sort of ingratiate himself. And I heard somebody talking about this in one of the documentaries, but it's almost like when you are, Doing such terrible things, it shows that there is a little bit of humanity in you to actually try to do things for other people. Because you know eventually when you die, like if there really is like a judgment day, you're probably going to need some good shit to try to argue. And I'm not saying this as far as standing with him you, you or see, supporting him. You see this in Escobar too yeah. and everything like that. But it's not like it's not saying like, well, they had... You know, you can never say they had redeeming qualities because there was always kind of an ulterior motive to it. Oh, 100%. It wasn't just doing good for like to be like, well, if I tilt the balance and I built because he built like churches and stuff like that. He built some schools, some hospitals within these poor areas of Sinaloa to give these people, you know, access to this kind of stuff. But it's it was definitely self-serving because what you're basically doing is you can't win a war if you have a hostile populace because (laughs) – Everyone, if they don't like you, is going to be trying to... There was at this point, I think, was it $8 million or $7 million bounty on him? Uh, I think at this point it was only five. Okay. I think it gets bumped up so, later on. So after. you need to, through a combination of either total fear, which at certain points people are going to turn against you if it's done with total fear, 
Or you can basically ingratiate yourself with all of these people to where you yourself aren't hurting these people. If anything, you know, he's probably trying to keep drugs and shit and all this kind of stuff out of the main areas of Sinaloa. Yeah. Protect from the addiction. Yes, and building infrastructure and helping these people that they looked at him as a fucking, like, Robin Hood character. That he was essentially, you know, well, he wasn't stealing from the rich. He was stealing from people's fucking... Rich kids were stealing from their parents who were then in turn funding him, but he was spending this money, a, a tiny fraction of it, on the infrastructure of his country and helping people, doing things that were perceived as helping people. At the same time, do you know what you're also doing on that? You're creating your own almost protection squad around you. And, you know, when he makes this escape in 2014, like the early warning system had to be coming from miles away as soon as they saw the military approaching. It was like, I'm trying to think of what fucking movie it was. I want to say it's one that like, there's like a favela. It might be something, fuck maybe it's in Brazil if there's favelas and stuff, but like you get these people that are watching and then you see them radio ahead to radio back to someone else. So by the time they're even close, that's not to say that he jumped up at those 10 to 15, 20 seconds when they were beating down the door, he probably waited until they were close. So when he escaped, they were preoccupied trying to storm this. They were trying to get in there and look for him. Exactly. And so you're creating essentially a network of surveillance and protection in a huge spanning web around you, trying to like, you know, make it to where almost the entire country is on your side. Well, and when he is in town too, if you miss him by a matter of days and they come in and start interviewing people like, hey, was El Chapo here? If you like El Chapo, you're going to be like, who? Who? Chapo. No, we, they said there's a lot pay, of short people here. What are you talking yeah, about? Yeah, they said he would pay for people's like that's my, weddings. That's one of my favorite like stories, that. though. Um, when he'd go into restaurants, he would send his military guys oh, into the restaurant, right. and they would take everybody's phones. And as they took everybody's Ladies phones... Ladies and gentlemen, <laughs> tonight you will be dining with El Chapo. Please put your cell phones in the bag. You will receive them back after the meal, and they would... Case the place, clear it. No one would be allowed to move, leave anything like that. But in return, no bills tonight, ladies and gentlemen. Yeah, it's Trump all on just El pay, pay for dinner. So he would come in. They said he would be entertaining. Some people fucking said charming. Uh, to me, he'd walk like, around and talk to everybody like he was thanking them for you know being a supporter. Yes. All the while, you have guys probably standing around with fucking AKs oh, and yes. Uzis and stuff yeah. like that. And then after he was leave, after a certain amount of time, someone would be allowed to pass back out the phones. Nobody would get a bill. And so, yeah, like, I mean. Pretty cool. It, it's born out of fucking necessity. But it's here's, pretty cool. Here's the thing, too, that's going to be a reoccurring theme about El Chapo is he was not content, essentially, to try to hide and be like a no. behind-the-scenes figure. He was someone that eventually it it got to and was like, what's the point of me being in this position if I can't, like, enjoy myself or enjoy, like, senses of freedom? And so, like, a week later, February 22nd, 2014, the Mexican authorities, they're still tracking him at this point. They were able to, like, locate him through, like, cell phone communications Mm -hmm. and everything the first time. Blackberries, I believe. They're still tracking him through a couple of his lieutenants. He ends up reaching out to another one to kind of form an escape plan because he's trying to flee the country or get further away. And they end up getting him and tracking him down to a beachfront hotel in Mazatlan. This guy loves his vacation. Hotspots. He's a rich man. You got to enjoy that stuff. And so this is when they actually are able to arrest him. 
So <laughs> he did. Apparently, he didn't have a tunnel out of Mazatlan. Yeah, an at, island, at the beachfront hotel. He didn't have time to to dig a tunnel. Yeah. Um, before we get into that, let's hit uh, the bathroom real quick. Sounds good. Oh my God, Adam! What is what is that up in the sky? It it's a bird. It's a plane. It's socials. Oh my God! It's faster than Instagram. That's historically high pod on Instagram. More powerful than X? It's historically high, historically H-I on X? Able to leap tall threads in a single bound. Back to historically high pod on threads. And, I mean, I guess there's still Gmail, right? We got that too. That is historically high podcast at gmail.com. All right, guys, back to the show. All right, and we're back. You know who's not back? El Chapo. Well, he is back, back in prison. Yep. So this time he is taken to the Federal Social Readaption Center Numero Uno, number one, which is a supermax prison, also known as Altiplano. It's just that they only go up to maximum security in Mexico. We're not throwing supermax in there yet. That's more of an American thing. Yeah. Which, but, I mean, they maybe should have looked in, into it at this point. Yes, the most secure prison, they said, in the country is where he's being held. And again, that's the most secure prison in Mexico. <laughs> so February 24th, and this has to be 2015? Yeah. So the Mexican government charges El Chapo with drug trafficking. Surprise, surprise. And on April 17th, the Attorney General of Mexico said they had no intention of extraditing Chapo to the United States. We had been hounding him about this. Um, hey, you know, he's already escaped once. He's you guys not gonna, fucked up the first time and let him walk out the back door. Yeah, pardon, pardon us if we don't have the greatest sense of confidence <laughs> you're going to be able to handle this. You're like, we got this. We learned our lesson. He's in our maximum security prison. Nothing's going to happen. Well, doesn't take long because on July 11th, <laughs> 2015, you can watch the security footage of this, by the way. So Guzman awesome. is sitting in his cell, and you see him just kind of like, uh, he like looks over to the side for a second and the way his cell is set up is basically like you have the door to his cell. And then if you were to turn to your left and immediately go around a little corner, there's like a little shower. Yeah. It's a, a privacy ledge for with a, with a ledge, like a, a mid height, you know, maybe a three foot ledge that goes up. Trouble wasn't see. a tall man. So Correct. it was up to his nipples, but. Correct. And you couldn't see it from the camera. You could just see the um, ledge and then behind it, you would, you would be able to see like his upper half and not his lower half. So he looks over and then he sits down on his bed and just very calmly like puts on his shoes and then you literally just see him walk over like he's going to go just like take a shower, just go walk into it and you never see him appear again. So It's kind of like Austin Powers doing the elevator at the end of the bed. He just sort of slinks down yes. slowly. And he escapes through a 20 inch by 20 inch hole to a 30 foot ladder or 30 foot ladder. So 10 yards deep, 30 feet to a 0.93 mile, so let's just call it a mile, or 1.5 kilometers, tunnel equipped with power, ventilation, and a rail-operated motorcycle waiting for him. (laughs) And this guy driving it guns it and fucking hauls ass the mile basically to like a cinder block or brick-like farmhouse that is sitting a mile away out in this field. 
And they constructed this shit in a matter of months. They a said, mile away from the They said the they prison. brought in like a I don't know what you would call a tunneling expert, but basically not someone someone that is able to like you know, when they go out to do a surveyor. Yeah. To like I, I'm guessing this person probably didn't do this. They either had a surveyor on retainer, which maybe with all the tunnel digging, probably they did. Bad they idea. had a guy specializing in it. They used all of this and they knew what fucking cell he was in. They had to do this surveying so precise. This is how good they got at tunnels. From a mile away, they were able to tunnel, have it to where you could have a motorcycle on the track so no sharp turns or corrections or anything. And they were able to go under the prison walls, into the cell block, and pinpoint it to his fucking shower to do this. And then basically, can you... Okay, so I'm like trying to like plan this in my head. You would have to have everything constructed... There would have to be noise because for them to be able to just break through that shower bottom, but to have it operate as a shower consistently while they were digging it and getting it all prepped and everything like that. Yeah, you just don't hit the sewer line. You don't, but you still have to have all the support under it. Yeah, and you're still having to get the ladder set up, have the tunnel ready to go. So the whole point about this was like when they were looking into this, they're like, how did you guys not fucking hear anything going on here? Like, what what was going on? They had, at this prison, they said they had, like, seismometers or seismic detectors Mm -hmm. to prevent this type of thing. And it's one of the things they told the U.S. when they were like, give them to us, extradite. They're like, no, no, you ain't tunneling out of this when we have detectors. Coincidentally, those detection systems had been turned off. Yeah, it's very interesting how that happens. And I like don't maybe know if the guy in charge of that could have been on the take as well. I don't know if it was specifically that they were turned off along the section they were tunneling or all of them had been turned off. But regardless, yeah, so they were at work making noise, doing all this shit, and then he just literally, within a matter of a couple months of being there, walks out or rides out. I'm not a smart man, but I will offer maybe a choice that they could have made that would have stopped this from happening. And uh, correct me if I'm wrong, if this seems like a batshit crazy idea, put it on second level change his cell yeah don't don't leave him on the ground get him raised up because the man clearly likes to Mm -hmm. tunnel that's how he got out from underneath the bathtub funny he used a bathtub the first time and then a shower the second time but like and that was (laughs) one of the suggestions i think that was made they're like well will you at least like change him put him on the second story put him on the third story Mm -hmm. i just it's absolutely incredible to me just how quickly this was blundered and there were things, it had to have been somewhat of an inside job because they said that it was 20 minutes that he was off camera after he slanked down behind the shower yes, wall. Yes, it was during like, a hey, guard maybe change or some shit like that. There were definitely people because you had to have people ignoring someone to fuck with the security system. And you had to have people that were going to ignore like people that were in that area that were just going to not listen to like, okay, here's the deal. I'm not going to tell you anything, but you're going to hear some weird noises on your shift. Mm-hmm. You're going to go ahead and ignore those noises. You don't need to concern yourself. They're just, you know what? It's, the, it's, you know, it's an old prison. It's got some creaks to it and everything. The plumbing's not great. Probably just some rats crawling around. In exchange, we either, A, won't kill you and everyone you know, which at that point, I think if the cartel went after the guard, they would know something was up. Yeah. So it was definitely a situation, I think, skews more toward the, um, and what did they say, uh, silver or lead? 
plateau or plama. Yep. And so I think it was definitely more of the plateau situation where these people were being paid off. Or, you know what? Maybe that new farmhouse that's being built less than a mile away from the prison. Maybe we go check that out and see what's going on there. Maybe we just don't allow places being built within yeah. a certain distance of the fucking prison. With, within tunnel distance to the prison. Maybe we don't yes. let that happen. I've noticed that's something that like that is a very specific thing like for like American prisons. There is nothing around them. No. There's, yeah. I, no. I don't know if that's been a lesson that we learned from someplace else. Yeah. I, I mean, it, it may have been, or it's just sort of common sense to not let that happen. But either way, he gets out, which is pretty incredible. Can to- you imagine getting that call and then you got to be the guy that has to do the press conference? Well, yeah. I. How hey. do you explain it? We lost him again. And I remember when this shit happened. I I distinctly remember seeing that we finally caught El Chapo. And then my second thought being, he's not going to be in for long. Because knowing his history and knowing that he got out the first time and has been on the run this long, I figured it wouldn't take that long if they kept him in Mexico. Two months? <laughs> yeah. Th- th- that That's like, <laughs> that's pretty fucking Five, insane. yeah, because it was February he got uh, indicted. And then July 11th. They're like, listen. We took all precautions. We did not anticipate the motorcycle. Yeah. That's on us. <laughs> Last time it was a laundry cart. We definitely did not have motorcycles on our El Chapo Escape bingo card. It's the, a crazy escape. And then it really just gets weirder from there. Um, this is when it ventures into just like what the fuck. Like all of this is like you could kind of picture it, it together how it happens. This is when it gets into like what the fuck territory. Yeah. So October 2nd. Um, I'd never heard of this woman before, but like I remembered, I definitely remembered this part of the story. Yeah. So, um, a Mexican actress, Kate Del Castillo, and her friend Sean Penn, fucking Harvey Milk's down there, fucking Spicoli. <laughs> yeah, it's fucking, even worse. So, no way. Hey, Mister Chapo. <laughs> but Sean Penn threw some type of like, okay, so. Rolling Stone article was involved in this. They said they were writing an article or Sean Penn was writing an article for Rolling Stone. Somehow Kate Del Castillo got in contact with El Chapo because he was a fan of her work or something like that. She was like, hey, uh, this friend named Sean Penn. He's like, I don't fucking who I don't care. He's like, I'm trying to bang you because that was the big thing is he was trying to like get in with her. So, well, so. He actually reached out to her because he wanted to make a film about his life. That's right. He was getting he wanted to, to make a biopic. He was getting to that point in every drunk drug kingpin's phase of life where he's like, you know what? Uh, I I need to write my my memoirs and my script. I need to get my life up on. The, I just escaped prison for the second time on a motorcycle, so I, I need to somebody get this needs on to hear this story. No shit. So through some type of exchange of information and offers and stuff. Kate Di Castillo and Sean Penn meet with El Chapo at one of his like secret ranches. I don't know fucking where it was for an interview. I believe it was in Durango. Yep, with Rolling Stone magazine. They had to meet with him once. They wanted to tell him what they wanted to do. Then they went back to a hotel, and I want to say like several days later, then they meant to went to meet with him to be able to do the interview to ask the questions. The Mexican uh, Marines were tracking them at this time as well. I'm not sure how they got put onto it, but tracking technology had become more advanced. I'm not sure El Chapo had known that, so he was being, like, surveilled. And they had actually had a raid set up for the same night. 
that they were doing the interview and because of weather, they were unable to execute the raid because they were having to bring in helicopters into the compound because it was essentially isolated to where if they tried to bring in vehicles, they would be spotted and it wasn't quick enough. I have thoughts on this. <laughs> they said part of the concern was that during the raid, there was some hesitation prior to them knowing it was going to be canceled for the weather about like, well, what happens if Sean Penn gets killed and all this kind of stuff? There's going to be huge media blowback. I... I don't know Sean Penn or anything like that as a person, but if you are someone going to interview a twice escaped most wanted man known to fucking shoot people at the drop of a hat, fucking fugitive, uh, drug kingpin, tough shit, man, you're fucking taking, you're taking the risk. So if they would have came in and raided at this point and Sean Penn would have been lost in the line of fire, I'd have been like, the fuck was Sean Penn doing there in the first place? I even had that thought, and Sean Penn made it back. I'm like, dude, are you, like, unless you were working undercover and being tracked and, like, knew that you were trying to bring this guy down, like, the fuck are you trying to do write this article for Rolling Stone magazine? Like, I get that, like, this makes me not like Sean Penn, and I don't know how big of a Sean Penn fan I was even before this because I think he's kind of fucking weird, but, like, dude, the fuck? I... You and I couldn't have a more opposite take on this because I 100% believe that through the raids that have happened where they were trying to capture him before Mm -hmm. and they saw the gunfire that goes on through there, nobody in that house that didn't have a gun was just going to be completely executed. And for them to... You said because the raids prior had not led to gunfights. No, they always ended up in bad gunfights. Okay. So if you send in your team or your squad and you have Sam or uh, Sean Penn and Del Castillo in there, you just know they're going to die. Like if if you... There's, I think, his second time... Yes, but they were... That's what I'm saying is they... That should not even been a concern. But yeah, how can you not want to protect the press? How can you not want that information to go out? Anytime you've ever seen like a drug documentary and you see people that are profiling like street level dealers or anything yeah, but like they're, that. They're not doing that with the intention of this guy going back or being captured. He's going to do this for fucking Rolling Stone. Yeah. For, to fuck for his own clout. No, I think it was more of an expose on somebody who's so fucking interesting that everybody wants to know about. Yeah, but that, but that shouldn't like what I'm saying is that like that should not even be a concern if the cost is getting El Chapo's led to all these fucking deaths and having to worry about not fucking winging Sean Penn, like you fucking do that. That's like someone going into a knowingly dangerous situation that there should be risk. They could have very easily just is easily like fucking pissed him off and been shot by the cartels. What I'm saying is that should not even been a factor. It should have not even been brought up. If they were out there, they're essentially putting themselves in harm's way. Yeah, I I mean I disagree, but Okay. That's I, fine. We can disagree. It wouldn't be interesting if we agreed on everything. I just feel like the story was so you much think more... That Sean, you think Sean Penn and Kate DeCasio had benevolent reasons for doing this, trying yeah. to provide a, a, this information to the world. I think they wanted to profile a guy to really get a clearer picture on who we were dealing with. And I think you do it anonymously if you're really doing it for that reason. He's not going to do it that way, though. That's not how Chapo does it. No, 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 no. I think that, like, when Sean Penn goes and writes the article and turns it into Rolling Stone, he doesn't say it's from... I don't fucking know, man. 
I just don't like the fact that he even mentioned that there was a hesitation on this operation because of Sean Penn. I'm just like, it's not like Sean Penn was being held. They're like, oh my God, Sean Penn's being held hostage. Like, what, do you, what do you feel if a war correspondent gets caught up in a firefight? And neither of them were war correspondents. They're act, they're this is the war on drugs. This is literally the biggest war that we're fighting at the time. They're not going in there for, they're, then they're not going, why are you going in there to write it for Rolling Stone? I think Rolling Stone does a lot of exposés on stuff like this. I don't know. I feel like they were going it there. It stinks, to Adam. I, it okay. stinks to high heaven. All right. Well, regardless, the operation, hey, thank God Sean Penn's fine. Sean Penn's okay, everyone. Um, so anyway, several days later, they used, um, the Mexican authorities, the military used a cell phone intercepts to basically pinpoint his location in Durango um, at his ranch. And they this is where they come in with the choppers. And so they got wind of this because you can hear helicopters coming from a certain distance. And also you do have lookouts of any populated area where these guys are coming from. Mm-hmm. So a shootout happens and El Chapo and another guy, one of the chopper pilots, sees like three figures escaping, like running off into the hills. They get out through another fucking tunnel that pops them out a little distance away. And as Chopper's running away, the chopper's coming in to like either have them stop or open fire on him. And Chopper turns around and he's fucking holding like a little girl. So basically uses a hostage like a little girl to keep from um, getting fired upon. A human then, shield. That's... Yeah, a human shield, exactly. And is able to escape like into the trees and like into the mountains where they're not able to track him. So at this point, they kind of know his his chain of contact. He's having to try to contact people, of course, because he needs help getting escaping. And so they're intercepting these communications. They basically... Through previous ones, they've identified certain safe houses that were likely to be housing El Chapo in certain circumstances where yeah. they escape these operations. And they basically sit on this house in, um, is it Los or Los? Los, Los Mochis. Los Mochis for about 60 days. Um, I heard it was like either two months or three months, but it was a while. Well, well basically what they were doing was they intercepted – disinformation that there was going to be, I think they said either an aunt or an uncle or something like that staying at this a, house. A high profile yeah. person. Yeah. So they go to watch because like high profile guy in the area, there's a good chance Chapo's going to try to meet them. Mm-hmm. And they slowly watch this house being worked on and constructed yeah, they, watch, they literally watch like a steel door yeah. being installed. They're like, gee, what's fucking happening here? Well, and they see that and they're probably like, God damn it. Every one of these things that they put in is going to be an impediment to us getting in there safely. Exactly. And in a reasonable amount of time to try yeah. to fucking intercept this dude so basically on january 8th 2016 earlier in the day they were surveilling people coming and going from the house <coughs> and they were able to surveil or find out that someone from the house had put in an order for like a hundred i'm not and we're not fucking making this shit up <laughs> had put in an order for like a huge order for tacos. They said like a hundred tacos or something like that. A huge order from this place, um, someplace in town. This is 100% factual. We're not punching this up. (laughs) No. They also said that there was an order and that they were picking up like pornography too. Porno tapes or something like that. Porn tapes. Tacos and porn. Tacos and porn. So been the downfall of many men. So, so many. (laughs) This is, there should be a different name for this. Yeah. When they say T's and P. 
<laughs> this is what it's actually referring to. It's not thoughts and prayers. It's tacos and porn. So most of people that are <laughs> end up falling victim to tacos and porn, the the worst thing that happens is some fucking crusty tissues and they just go sleepy. Yeah, yeah. It, it doesn't morning lead to something morning. like this. A lot of regret. In the most extreme situation of results of tacos and porn. So they're surveilling these guys and they see them bring all this stuff back. So they're like, I don't, do you think that after they were like, Oh, they're just picking up a bunch of tacos, and they're like, is that porn? And they're like, fucking Chapo's there. We fucking got him. So they raid this house um, and are finally able to, after they raid it and everything, Chapo and a lieutenant actually escape via a tunnel in the bathroom. Surprise, fucking surprise. This thing drops them, though, like not into a custom-made tunnel, but like into the sewer system in the town. And the it had rained apparently a couple days before, and so the sewer was actually up even more. So they're just getting covered in like piss and shit and yeah. drainage and everything. And they get some distance away from the house. At this point, you know the the Marines or whoever's raiding it identifies the tunnel. I don't know if they've sent people down in there as well to chase him. But Old Chop was like, "We got to fucking get topside. Top yeah, we got to find a way." Like the fucking Ninja Turtles, they fucking go up a ladder and like pull back a manhole. Get out, they fucking hijack a fucking car at gunpoint, and as they get in the fucking car, uh, did it break down right away or were they able to drive a little bit? Not far. Not, not far, very far enough. And this fucking car breaks down. And not only does it break down, but the person they carjacked it from, because all this shit's going around, they have people searching. As soon as, you know, it's not just the raid. They also have probably like a circle of law enforcement. Yeah. The person who ends up getting it, stolen from them, identifies the car almost immediately. They know what car they're looking for. And the military is able to arrest El Chapo um, on the street after, you know, in the broken down car. What's the first thing he does? Before that, what do you think is running through your mind when El Chapo climbs out of the sewer and steals your car? Are you just like the fuck is happening? This guy got back out and now he's right in front of me trying to jack my car. You're like, holy shit, that's El Chapo. Do you think he wants to get use this to get away? I mean, at this point, because <coughs> the escape was back in July and then this is yeah. now like the new year, I think maybe they, they know they're still searching for El Chapo, but it's not like where everyone has their eyes out. Like, you know, there has to be that week or two weeks after the escape where they're getting all these tips like, I saw El Chapo. I saw El Chapo. It's probably died down at this point, but you've seen him so much over the course that when you see, well, and you're also seeing a dude with a gun pop out of the manhole, and then you see this other dude, you're probably like, this probably has something to do with El Chapo. <laughs> Whether you know it's him or not, you're just like, this has got to be very El Chapo-esque. And then after they get in the car, do you like lean in and you're like, hey man, uh, pulls a little bit to the left. That's what I was going to say. Uh, you got to... You, <laughs> you got to shake the gear shifter. You, you got to pump the clutch or it's not going to go into first. <laughs> the game rolls down and just grinding the gears. He's like, is there a fucking trick to this? He's like, it's a piece of shit. Yeah. What do you want? Then you call 911. You're like, hey, El Chapo just stole my car. They're like, okay, what's the information? You give him all the information. Can you imagine reporting that to your insurance? Yeah. What happened to your Chapo vehicle? Stole El Chapo. He's like, listen, you wouldn't believe how many times we hear this. Yeah. That El Chapo stole my car as an insurance scam. <laughs> to call the police and be like, this is what the car is. He won't get far. Like, well, how do you know? You're like, my car's a piece of shit. Yeah, They're exactly. going to run it right into the uh -huh. ground. <laughs> I was already like sputtered on gas. Like I was trying to coast this thing to the gas station. It ain't going far. Only three people know how to drive this car and none of them are inside of it right <laughs> yeah. now. 
So first thing he does to these guys that are actually holding him at gunpoint, he tries to fucking bribe him. He's just like, how much, fellas? <laughs> how much to just forget you fucking seen me and also try to find me a fucking car that works? Uh, they ain't buying this point. So fucking El Chapo, covered, piss and shit, finally captured. And on October 17th, 2016, so he's held... And I think they say they fly him via helicopter directly there to, I can't remember where, it might have been the Capitol because they take him to, apparently the Attorney General had a hangar or something. Oh, really? For like a private plane, probably yeah. flying around. And they actually bring him in and, you know, have a fully, you know, complete armed guard on him. <laughs> it's good that they got him. I'm pretty sure they flew him by helicopter to get him a distance away from any like support structure. Oh, had. they would have to. And to make sure that nobody around them is going to be an eye out to be it, like, that's where they're taking it. Him. Exactly. Yep. They, 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 <laughs> they've been burned a couple times before. Yeah. So October 17th, 2016, um, it takes him a fucking while, man. From January to October, the federal judge overseeing the extradition. Finally, they agreed. They're like, we got him again. You can take him. And if he escapes again... It's on you, you guys, you not think, on us. Do you think part of them were like, man, we kind of hope he escapes a little bit so we can see, ha ha! Yeah. See? Not he, so fucking easy to keep him. He's just really busy. good. Yeah. It doesn't matter how good your system is, he's just better. Exactly. They're like, oh, well, actually, we just kept him in a sky prison. <laughs> it was suspended between two canyons, and so there was nowhere to go, nowhere to tunnel. Like fucking off Marvel, the fucking prison that's underwater and shit. Um, yeah. Yeah, so yeah. anywhere you take him just shouldn't have a floor. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> it Tunneling needs to be should like not granite. be an option. Yeah. Um, he ends up being extradited to oh. oh no, the judge. That's right. Sorry about that. Yeah. So the federal judge overseeing the extradition, taking over and everything like that, is fucking assassinated while on a jog. Weird. Was that the American federal judge or the Mexican, Mexican federal judge? Mexican. Because okay. it was the extradition hearing that he was overseeing, so gotcha. it was still out of Mexico. Well, but yeah, why in the world would you go out for a jog? When Mexican authorities intercept money or anything like that that's going towards the cartel, they're like, oh shit, if they find out that it was us, they're just going to kill everybody in our family. But this judge is like, ah, I'm not going to, I'm going to forego the treadmill tonight. Let me go out for a jog. I'm not feeling the Peloton. No, I'm feeling, a, I'm feeling the fresh air. It's a bad choice. But again, like this shows you how much reach they had and what they were trying to do to get this guy released. Like how much fucking influence. That's why this guy was so fucking feared of how much power he had and why he fucking terrorized the entire country. So thankfully this doesn't derail it. January 19th of 2017, Shorty's extradited to the United States. He's taken to New York. Yep. He's taken to New York and he pleads... Not guilty to 17 counts on the 20th. So within one day, they got him in front of a judge. Mm -hmm. That was how fast things were going to start moving but for him. No more fucking around. But we need to get you from here to prison as quickly as possible. Because here's the thing, like when they start the trial for, okay, that's when I was confusing the three months. So you're probably right back on the Los Mochis for two months waiting for that. Yeah. For three months, once the trial starts... Every day between where he's being held and the courthouse where he's on trial, there is a complete shutdown of certain streets and an entire convoy and caravan of like armored vehicles that have to transport him daily for three months. 
They have to shut down the Brooklyn Bridge yes. during rush hour every day of the trial to get yep. them across. That's how scared they were. For three months. Because all that they're waiting for, essentially, is for, like, an ambush or for, like, a fucking hit squad or... Because they've seen the power and, and, you know, we might touch on a little bit about when his son gets picked up, what ends yeah. up happening. But, like, they've seen the power and especially with as much funding as they still fucking have, they're just waiting for, like... Like, oh, fuck, what's the... It's it's the movie SWAT. Yeah, very much so. It's where the fucking Colombian uh, drug lord and everything like that, and all of a sudden he puts out a bounty. What What's to say that there wasn't, like, anyone that can get this guy out $100 million? Yeah, and that's just pocket change. Part of the reason why he had to go to New York was because his influence in America at that time was so huge. Like we were talking about earlier... Um, the main hub that they would want these drugs to hit was Chicago. Mm-hmm. Chicago is a major player in so many different things. That's why so many corporations are based in Chicago, because it's a central shipping hub to the east and the west coast. Yeah. And that's the way that it's just been built. For mm-hmm. all industries, that's how it's been built. So Chicago, too, I believe they said outside of Mexico, it's the fifth largest uh, Mexican American population. Yeah, they in had infrastructure the there. They were going after, you know, they already had a pipeline to LA. They were already, you know, they used to take stuff to New York, but they were using Chicago for that. A lot of it was just determined essentially on a customer base. And the more people you have, Chicago is the third largest city. Gotta be goes New, York, LA, Chicago, New York, New York, LA, Chicago, or I uh, can't remember how that goes. But they were essentially trying to get their hands in the largest, you know, populaces, more customers and everything. And like you said, and this is going to tie into, we can even kind of talk about this now before we kind of determine the verdicts of the trial. One of the reasons that they were so successful in Chicago, two of the reasons, two of the reasons (laughs) were these guys, Jay and Pete Flores, the Flores twins. And these guys kind of not, you know, a Chapo-esque upbringing in the sense that like their father was already involved in the the drug trade in Chicago and everything. And these guys basically became El Chapo's guys almost within the United States, definitely in Chicago, oh, but yeah. almost within the United States, to the point where they were saying these guys were making how much in profit each month? $10 million just in their own profit a month. Yeah. They were selling between 1,500 and 2,000 kilos of cocaine a month. That's how much excuse me, product they were moving. And these guys were fucking hustlers. Yes. When I say hustlers, I'm talking about they were raised by their dad who was essentially like a first street boss in Chicago. Mm -hmm. He had a date. What was his cover job? I can't remember what it was. It was something dumb. Yeah, it was something very just like generalized. Within the union. Yeah. And... One of their big business strategies was there's kind of, there's, um, I believe it's the Gangster Disciples and the Latin Kings yep. are two of the biggest street gangs in Chicago. The Latin Kings were primarily the ones that they were using to distribute before the Flores brothers came in and they were like, uh, there doesn't need to be just one show in town. Yeah. Like we're, if everyone just kind of like works together. And so basically they brokered, I'm not sure if they really brokered treaties, but they didn't have like only one group that they dealt with. They were dealing to everyone and using everyone that they could. They broke everything down by corners and by regions mm-hmm. that these gangs were allowed to sell their product. And basically, they would use that to control, be like, listen, you fucking violate these rules. You're not going to have a pipeline of shit. You guys are going to go ahead, and then we'll just supply someone else with it and take you over. Yeah. So you guys can all fucking just play nice, and everyone can eat or 
you're fucking gone. Yeah, we'll just cut you out completely. And not only that, can you imagine if you're like, you think that this is just us, you know who we fucking work for. Yeah. You think that these are people to be fucked with? Like, you don't want us to have to call the guy that we have to report to. Every time you call for a resupply, we're always full. You know if we have that kind of power, we got some shit going on. And by that time... We're never short, if you know what what we say. By that time, their dad had actually moved down into Mexico because he was wanted on drug charges Mm -hmm. up north in America. So as he's down there, um, Jay and Pete are just absolutely killing it. And they end up marrying these two chicks. Very weird. They got them pregnant at like the same time. Yeah, like the th- babies. They, were, they were also the daughter of Chicago law enforcement. Yep, both of them were. That's right. Yes, and they were like, we had uncles. That that's the thing that kind of bugged me about that podcast is the way they were talking about it. You were like, okay, like I know you aren't because they didn't release their names. It just said who they were and everything because of yeah. course they can't release their names. But at the same time, I'm like, they're like. And at one point when they were making their $10 million, you know, we had the most lavish lifestyles. And when we had to move to – because at a certain point, they are forced when they actually are closed in on because, like we were talking about earlier, the more people you have working for you, the more possible chances of leaks. One of their – I don't know what you would call it. He was a distributor. One of their distributors turns on them, provides information, and then they're wanted. It doesn't lead to their immediate arrest, but they know that, like, they're they're wanted at that point. They've been identified – well, they end up, because they're so valuable to El Chapo, they just move down to Mexico and almost continue the distribution and, like, they're just running it from afar. And you hear the their fucking wives that are talking and been like, you know, it was so rough for them to leave everything that they'd ever known in Chicago. And, you know, but in Mexico, like, we were able to live out loud and have all these luxuries and all this kind of stuff. But then they're also like talking about it like it was so hard and it was dangerous and all this. Stuff. I'm like, fuck you. You would not be having this conversation and been like spewing this shit if you were still living this life. <laughs> like you just want and you're thank God I don't think the names can be released, but it's like you just want to somehow try to milk part of fame or something like that by coming out about this shit because you obviously had no reservations about it when you were fucking chilling out in Mexico in your fucking villas and going on all of these vacations. But when you're in, you're in. You're when you're in, you don't see that outside of it. Like you, you don't, but you're gonna tell me right now that have were they provided the option to continue living that life or have to fucking then like anonymously make a fucking podcast interview or anything like that. They're choosing that fucking life nine t- out of ten times. What would you choose? I don't know. Don't ask me that question. <laughs> I feel like I'm I know. on trial here. <laughs> this is El Chapo, goddammit. Uh, Jay and Pete run into some issues down in Mexico because they are buying from the uh, Beltrans and they are also buying from Chapo. Yeah, they're serving so, like as they're still kind of doing double their dipping. thing. Yeah. And you can't play both sides of the fence because eventually that's going to get you dead down there. Once and they don't know that they're double dealing. The Beltrans don't know that they're dealing with El Chapo. Chapo doesn't know. Eventually this shit's going to come to light and they realize that. And when the heat starts getting raised on the fucking war between these two groups as well, these guys are taking place also. I don't mean to make it sound like these guys are toward the end of the story. These guys actually help lead to the first arrest of El Chapo, the one that he escapes just in the laundry basket. So this is going back a little bit. It just reminded me once we were talking about Chicago about this. So this is all happening while there's still, you know, El Chapo's not the only show in town. So there's still this like, you know, cartel wars going on. 
these guys basically figure one of these two is going to figure out that we're double dipping and to keep us and our distribution and everything. One of them, they're not going to be okay with the other one getting us. Yeah. They're going to fuck it, it's scorched earth. They're going to fucking deny the resource rather than lose it. Or they're just going to pull us apart. They're just going to, I don't us. even think it would do that. I don't think that they would be like, it's either all or nothing. I think they knew that they were going to die as soon as the other one found out. No, that's it. exactly what I'm saying. And so with that, they essentially broker, was it through their father? Or no, who was it through? No, their father hated them. That's their right. Their father called them rats and assholes. No, no, I'm trying to figure out before they knew about that. How did they broker the contact with essentially the DEA? or They just called the DEA. They're like, hey, we want to give ourselves up, but we want a deal. We want to help that's, you guys Okay, out. so they contacted them directly. Because they were facing, I think it was like 50 years apiece, which seems... Yeah. Not a lot for that's true, but their their option to that essentially was a bullet in the back. It was the yeah. what it what what's the plot? Pato or plama? So it was plama. Yeah, plama was the only option at that point. So they go in and through the deal that they have, they you know serve as basically like you know um, informants. They get El Chapo on the phone. Basically, the way that they're able to get him on the phone to admit to being in part of the business, they're having a conversation. They're like. Hey, El Chapo, so one of the shipments of heroin you sent us, very good, awesome. Bueno. Yes, muy bueno. Uh, the other, no bueno, not very good. Muy we're, mal. Yeah, we're not going to be able to sell this for a lot. So if you wouldn't mind, usually these things are, what, 25000 55000 for a key of heroin, I believe. Yeah, and so he's like, how about we knock it down, knock off 5000 or something like that off the price of this bad batch? And he's like, yeah, sure, why not? So they basically have him being tied to the distribution of heroin, and that's on how... On tape. On tape. And then after this, these guys end up getting um, sentenced and, you know, put into... I'm not... I'm guessing it's just prison, or, like, what would you think? Because... They'd have to be in ADSEG. There's no way they could be in general population in a prison. Okay, what did you say? Uh, ADSEG, like the area away from the general population. Okay, that's... Okay, I didn't know if they were in witness protection or if they were going to be in, like, some type of solid... Yeah, solitude. Solitude. Some type of solitary. Somehow nobody will be able to get to them, because everybody would probably want to get to them. Correct. Exactly. That's what I'm saying. If they were in general population, the reach that this guy had, they would have been dead so quickly. So... These guys end up going, um, being sentenced to 14 years yep. in in prison, and they're released after 13. 2020. 2020, they, they end up getting released, and they ride off into the sunset and live happily ever after. But I don't do, like, I'm sorry, but here's the deal. I know that they're released after Chapo is in prison, but... What are they're marked, man? They have to be in witness protection somewhere. That's what you, you, you yeah, correct. There's no way that they could ever 100%, right? Anywhere in the country, because like you were talking about earlier, um, they were kind of everywhere. They had distribution, their hubs. father disappeared as well, huh? So the father disappeared oh, the father as well. And they found a note on his cars and it said, like, tell the rats to stop talking, yep. But they never found the or like, or no, they gonna... found him in pieces. Oh, did they? Yeah, okay. yeah, he was. <laughs> He was uh, he was sushied out. Yeah, and even he was probably like, I feel the same way you guys do, but it was like, sorry, old man, got to fucking send a message. Yeah, yeah, they, but for them to be able to go anywhere, like you were talking about earlier, with the things that they were starting to export from China, um, they found a use for heroin because they had the poppy or the poppy fields, and they knew that 
in um, Kuyukon and around in Sinaloa was where these poppies would grow up in the mountains. That was the other thing. I, I don't know how we glossed over this. So the whole thing with meth, once he got into meth yeah, and manufacturing methamphetamines. Which so, is, I think, their major export today. Yeah. So going and looking, and this is, this is where it draws inspiration from. When you're watching Breaking Bad yeah. and you hear Gus Fring has connections with, I want to say in Breaking Bad, it's with some type of like Eastern European or chemical company. I can't remember what country it's based in. But when he's first starting his operation, he gets in touch with a chemical company that then basically sells them the raw precursor chemicals for pseudo, the pseudo chemicals for like pseudoephedrine or Mm -hmm. whatever they make meth out of. So basically, whereas Walter and Jesse have to first start out making it out of the medicine, Later in, you find that Gus was able to get these barrels, <laughs> barrels in mass, essentially, that were intended to be sent to pharmaceutical companies and all this type of shit to make medicine. This is where it draws its fucking inspiration from. El Chapo made all of these connections because his empire started to span worldwide. He was also one of the biggest suppliers of drugs in the United Kingdom. Yes, all white anglo saxon protestants we all love drugs apparently <laughs> it's not exclusive to our country <laughs> something yeah so he was a huge spire but he basically had expanded his reach to where he was a global he had a global empire he <laughs> was able to get in contact with like um asian um chemical manufacturers and in those areas and basically buy the chemicals to make meth from them these super labs that they would already have the infrastructure for built. They were already making these chemicals legally yeah. to be made into other products or to be made into medicine or whatever you're making these chemicals in. All it was is that he was basically able to bribe the right people, whether they be the people that make the shipments or, and they're like, okay, this one's going this way. This one's going this way. This one's going, oops, why is that one? Okay, ignore that one. Slap this a one. different label on this precursor. Yep. Yep, exactly. This one's this one's going a different place. Mm-hmm. Don't worry about where that place is going. This envelope full of full of money says you don't have to worry about that. Here's your stamps. So he was able to essentially manufacture this stuff in mass, like you see in Breaking Bad, where they pulled Jesse down into the manufacturing place down in Mexico and everything. Like he had warehouses and warehouse just huge operations where they were manufacturing this stuff. And I like you said, that's what their bread and butter is today, right? So yeah. Yep, that and heroin. And heroin is just because of the poppy that they have down there where they can extract the opium, and that's the base that they use you for heroin. You watch that kind of stuff on Breaking Bad, and you're like, this is exaggerated, this is crazy, but it makes sense. And then when you find out, you're like, this shit happened? Yeah, you guys are. You did a lot of research to make this film, yes. or this series. So, is, but that goes to show, with this worldwide reach, where in the fuck would the Flores brothers go that they couldn't be touched? Yeah. Russia? You would I, have to go to a communist country. <laughs> no, I, yeah, I don't. I don't. Like they can get you anywhere else in the world besides gotta maybe be, a communist country. Like you said, they're in witness protection, and very few people know who they are, or where they actually are. So I would say that's a pretty proper punishment for these two dudes. That do you think that they were able to freeze all their assets, track down all their money? No. I mean, if you're doing this for that long, you're making that much money. Like y- you got to have a lot of stuff. You're at that point too, where you're not having to worry about banks. You're hiding shit in barrels buried in holes or in secret places and stash houses. Yeah, dude, uh, how are but, you, sp- you can't launder $10 million But you can't go month. get it because uh-uh. you're in witness protection. He's like, hey, you know what a really lovely place for us to live would be? <laughs> Des Moines, Iowa. Uh-huh. Or we have a list of places that yeah. we're okay with. Uh, 
Uh, FYI, they're not able to live in any of those places. So the opening arguments actually for the actual case for El Chapo began on November 13th in 2018, and he was found guilty on all but one count on February 12th, 2019. We couldn't go 17 for 17. I don't know. What was the reasonable doubt on the last charge? Or did they, that was the last one they were just tired. They're like, oh, it. fuck it. No, we don't yeah. care. We've already convicted him on 16 of them. Um, and on July 7th, a lot of the 17th, oh, 17 counts. February, was that February 12th or 17th? 12th. Oh, 12th. Okay. So July 17th, 2019, he is sentenced to life plus 30 years. Let's not, you know, we're going to tack that on just to make sure. Um, and to forfeit more than $12.6 billion. Oh, man, what did we do with that money? Uh, we'll never see it. We have it's never... Still, it's all lo- down to Mexico. We've never located a fucking cent. What the fuck is the point of that? Just to throw another number and be like, and we're making him forfeit all that money. They're like, oh, cool, what are we using it on? It's like, well, we got some ideas once we get it, and we'll get back to you on that. Well, not to mention, what are you going to do to him if he doesn't pay? He's already in for life no plus shit. 30. So, yeah, they, they have not received any. And where are you going to fucking get that from? You're like, hey, we know that there's someone else in charge of the Sinaloa cartel, but just letting you guys know, while we also try to hunt you, all you fuckers down, you owe us $12.6 billion. So we're taking every piece of money you guys have on you when we arrest you. Mm-hmm, so send it, send it our way. Uh, another very big Guzman arrest, Emma Cornell Aspiro was... El Chapo's, I believe, fifth and final wife. Mm-hmm. Um, they actually met. She was running a beauty contest when she was 17 years old. So, you know, they were high school sweethearts, as in uh, she was in high school and he was like a 36-year-old man. On it. <laughs> and uh, this is just the kind of shit that El Chapo would do. So he actually sent Emma up into um, right outside of Los Angeles when she was pregnant with her twins mm-hmm. to have the children in America. Why would you do that? So the American, so the children could be American yeah. citizens. Yeah. So you know that you want your children to be American citizens, so you do that. Also, probably the medicine up there is going to be a little less iffy than it would down in Mexico, probably. Mm-hmm. But just the fact that he had the forethought to smuggle her into the United States so her children could be born there. So no matter him going to jail for the rest of his life, her getting killed, whacked, something like that, they can live in America free and clear and probably be taken care of by the cartel still in America. Yeah. like That's, that's a lot of forethought to have to be able to do that. But uh, she got picked up and spent two years in jail for drug trafficking and money laundering. She just got out, like, I think in a matter of the last couple months. What's she going to do? She's out partying. But uh, if you see her out having fun at a bar and you realize who she is or you don't know and you just stumble upon hitting on El Chapo's wife, is that not just the most bad luck thing that could ever happen to you? I don't think... um... I don't think she's out doing much partying, and I don't think it's for a lack of, like, the means to do anything like that. I think there are certain rules that, listen, it's his fifth wife. I don't think he's shy about doing extreme stuff. Yeah. All I'm thinking is he's like, listen, you're out, raise those kids. He's got people looking. I, You know, you want to say, he's got people looking after her. No, he's got people... Looking after her. Looking after her to make sure that she's not stepping out of line. 
and everything. So I don't really think you're going to be seeing her out. In fact, I don't know if, you know, she probably lives on a huge piece of property that's under some shell corporation's name. I, I, I don't know, but I doubt many people actually see her, if any. Probably be a fun hang. And just no, die no, afterwards. No, nah, pass. Okay. So where is El Chapo now? <laughs> Chapo is locked up in a very interesting place. It it's sounds called, lovely. ADX Florence. Yeah. And it is a federal supermax facility. It's called the Alcatraz of the Rockies because it's literally built within the Rocky Mountains. So it's like Alcatraz with the water except just inhospitable mountain terrain all the way around. Hard to tunnel through. <clears throat> yeah, no shit, huh? Real hard to tunnel through. 23-hour lockdowns. What, <laughs> what is almost tunnel-proof prison? Yeah. They actually were concerned um, for Jay and Pete when they were brought back before they testified because they were held in Chicago. And being held in downtown Chicago is where the jail cell or where the jail is. Mm -hmm. And they actually have the rec yard on top of the building. They wouldn't let them go out for rec time because they were concerned that there was going to be a copter or something come and snipe them off before they could testify at the trial. So just shit like that. The fact that they were so concerned about those guys. That actually scared me because you just said sniper and then you knock someone. I was like, what? I'm fucking getting (laughs) red team. Go red team. Go. No, but like, yeah, literally like if you look at pictures of, of, uh, ADX Florence, it's basically like, it's broken up into like sections of like where the actual like prison and everything. But yeah, this thing is like, that's like what I was saying. There's nothing that's non-prison related that's allowed to be built around prisons. Yeah, no, and this place holds everybody. I mean, the shit holds, held Ted Kaczynski, the mm-hmm. Unabomber. Um, the guy, his name escapes me now. Um, the co-conspirator in the Oklahoma City bombing is also there. So this is like the worst of the worst end up in ADX. Like, it's a bad, bad place to be. So... Probably not a lot of people to hang out with and talk to that are going to be real pumped that you're in there with them. Like you're not going to be charming anybody. In oh no, the Alcatraz. No, the you have no, you have no pull where you're at at this point. So yeah, and this is a guy. I mean, I'm not super in favor of the death penalty, but if you just told me, hey, we're going to put him through the death penalty for everything that he did, I wouldn't disagree with it. No, I think you know. I'm not like against that. I don't know how I feel. That's a weird debate. Never. No, you know what? That's not a weird debate. There are certain people that yes, but it, like, I don't know. It's a weird debate. If there's yeah. a general consensus that the world would be a better place without this guy, yes, I'm fine with them doing well, here's the death the penalty. Thing, but though. everybody else, here's the thing though: is y- yes, you could say that the world would be a better place, but the whole point of removing somebody's freedom is almost like it's it's, it's worse. Like, yeah, it's justified suffering. So for someone, and obviously his freedom and being able to do stuff led him into making poor decisions later yeah. in life and everything. So what you're basically doing to him is you're removing everything that he enjoyed about about life while still forcing him to live it. I Yeah. Which I, based on how many lives he led to destroying both directly and indirectly, you know, you almost wish that like you could keep someone like that alive longer to just – 
keep them in prison. Yeah, to just mentally encapsulate them in their worst fear. Yes. Same time, though, if it was like we probably need to delete this guy and move on. I'd be okay with it. Oh, no, you're not going to hear any argument from me and be like, really? Like, is he like, is he a threat? No. It, it, do you think he's suffering in there? No, he seems like he's having fun. Okay, well, maybe we just, yeah. yeah. Maybe we finish him Maybe off. we pull the old El Chapo. <laughs> yeah, when you're not El Rapido. But, yeah, just, it, it's crazy to think how just this guy kind of skirted under my radar. I know that you were probably paying attention to everything like that and kind of knew about this guy like as soon as probably like, the first or second escape. I remember hearing stuff about it and seeing like the press conferences, but never paid close enough attention to, to get super interested in it. But man, I'm, I'm glad we did. Cause he's a movie star. Like he's really beyond explanation. All of the stuff that's been, you know, even just recently it, it, that he has like, you know, not inspired, but like people have taken and, and put into like media and all that kind of shit. It's, it's fucking insane. It, it literally is like, it, it seems at points like a tall tale, mm-hmm. like a like a Scarface type type deal, except just dialed up to a degree like you can't really imagine. Yeah, dude, you're just having gunfights mm-hmm. in the middle of a city for just trying to kill, trying to snuff out the competition. Yeah, and you're just volleying shots across a crowded city center. I don't know if we can really comprehend that, man. Yeah, like and- in, in our society, I don't know if like. You know, you just see on the news that, like, police had a shootout, and it's so rare that you see that, but when you do see that, you read into it, and you're like, oh, my God, what happened? Like, imagine that you just live in a society where for a span of years at a time, it was just you would hear fucking a firefight break out on the street, and you were just like, fuck, like, third time this week? Are you fucking kidding me? But you have to stay there because you don't have any fucking... Yeah, options, you, you, and that's like it's like to live under like a fucking umbrella of like terror and just fucking fear like that has got to be just the fucking nightmare. I think he'll probably be to like the last major narco. Like he got in at the right time to where he could make an empire. Do you feel like? Do you feel like? Um, it's too splintered now. That's what I mean. Like, not only is it splintered, but also like sophisticated methods of preventing this type of stuff from happening are more advanced or mm. like they, they won't allow this. Or do you think it's just to the point where no one will able, ever able to be wrestle able? Eh, Jesus, I can't fucking talk. That's how you know we're later into the podcast <laughs> ever able to wrestle full control as like a monopoly like that. I think control is a big one. I also think that it's so much on the radar of governments that now aren't under bribes or anything like that. That, that someone it, that got into that role would stand out instantly and be yeah, yep, be yeah, the, seized. Yeah. The focus is so down on what they're doing and trying to prevent it now. For somebody to be able to unify like you were talking about and rise to power would just be impossible because yeah. you're you're not only trying to bring You're too much of a target. Yeah. You're not exactly. just a target from other cartels, but now you have... The government is making sure there's not another El Chapo. Yes. Yep. So he might be the last of a dying breed. Uh, funny Good looking thing. fella. Good thing. Yeah. Yeah. Definitely. Not the worst thing in the world. Uh, if we can start to put kind of some of this stuff to rest, I don't think there will ever be a time where this market doesn't exist. Yeah. And so there's always going to be somebody that's going to be there to fill that need. Mm-hmm. But so it's, it's never going to be stomped out completely. And honestly, uh, a lot of these downtrodden areas where these gangs exist and these cartels exist 
are also like the major source of income for some of these places. Yeah. So unfortunately, they're it's, almost it's uh, integrated into the society now. Yeah. Or it's 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 been allowed to become essentially a part of the society to now where it, there's like a, an economic reliance on it. Yep. And you know that's f- fucking horrible, but it's just kind of the reality of it all, man. It's a a not a world that people really like talking about. Mm-hmm. I find it incredibly interesting the economics behind the drug trade and everything. And that's why I think I like narcos so much is just because it's a section of society. That the the a... money behind it is ridiculous. Yeah, it's yep. it's cartoonish. But then at the same time, when you can comprehend that that's a real number that you're hearing, you're like, of of course, if you if you put this number on anything, people would do it. There would be an industry for it. Yeah. So. Yeah. And these are literal corporations. These are they're putting up profits that corporations would die to have. Like yeah. legitimate businesses. So would they're love- equaling the GDPs of some countries, of <laughs> yeah. some nations. Exactly. These cartels are. All right. Got anything else? No, no, I think this one's good. All right. We are L El Dunno. El Dunno. All right. Well, thanks again for joining us, ladies and gentlemen, and uh, we'll catch you next week. Peace. All right, ladies and gentlemen, thanks for joining us for another episode. If you like what you heard, hit that subscribe and like button. Follow us. If you didn't like what you heard, still hit that anyway, because we'll probably cover something in the future that you do like. Um, Please follow us on our social media. Adam, hit him with it. Uh, Our Instagram is historically high pod, historically high pod, and we are on Twitter at historically high. That's historically H.I. All right. And if you guys want to send in any feedback, suggestions, hit us up on those two, or you can even do it on Gmail. It's historically high podcast at gmail.com. Uh, thanks again. Peace.